Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, March 14th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Cop. It's May 14th. March 14th. 14th. <laughs> I wish it was March 14th. <laughs> it is Wednesday, May 14th, 2014. Hilarious that I get that wrong because I'm actually staring at the date right now. Uh-huh. Staring at it. And this is take two. Yeah, that was take two. I said May I said May 13th last time. I said May. Yes, I said May 13th last time, when it was actually May 14th. It's okay. Time traveling. Time traveling stuff. Yeah, it gets in the way. It's, you know, 134 episodes. I get get one for not being able to get the date right. You get a mulligan. Yeah. Fired. (laughs) I'm done? Done. I'm done. Done. Oh, man. So, I'm your host, Bobby Shortle. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm here with Steve Say. Hi. And Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey! (laughs) Oh my god! Wow, what is going Stephanie, on? Stephanie leaves the building, and we just everything falls well, off the rails. This is true. Something I thought I'd never ever say are those words. Shh, um, don't let her hear it. Uh, she doesn't listen to the show. No, she does. She'll never. She'll never hear this. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what's happening. Uh, so we are back for another edition of the Talking Comics podcast. As I said, Stephanie is not with us uh, this week. Um, so this week we are going to be doing a little bit of news. We've got some sales numbers to talk about. We've got a uh, a reveal of a Batman costume to talk about, um, and we've got a plethora of books to talk about this week. Some big events started at both companies th- this past week, as well as some stuff coming to an end, which will kind of be our, our, a little bit of our focus. It's going to be kind of a split focus. It's going to be almost an extended book of the week, because we're going to kind of really focus down on the movement uh, number 12. 12. 12 came out this week, which is the ending of Gail Simone's run on that book, the ending of the book. And we want to spend time talking about that and also kind of talking about possibly some series that we wish hadn't gone away. We had some listeners who wrote in with that as well. So we're looking forward to talking about uh, that stuff. So first of all, clearing the deck for the the, the business side. Thank you so, so, Mm -hmm. so, Mm. so much to our listeners. Those of you who gave money to help us raise the $1,100 to buy the talkingcomics.com domain name. You guys stepped up huge. We had two weeks to raise the money. It took us five days to raise it. <laughs> Damn. And people were still sending in donations even after we said we don't need any more donations. That's how amazing people are. We had people being like, oh my God, I didn't get a chance to give anything yet. Can I still give stuff? You guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we're in the process uh, of acquiring right now. It's, it is coming from a company that owns it, so it's a little bit of a process to get it. But I, hopefully in the next month, we will have it secured. And so it will be TalkingComics.com. And then these wonderful shirts that we all made up for, for um, uh, Comic-Con last year aren't oh. worth anything anymore. Sure they are. They're collector's items yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Because now... Neither are the business cards. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, they still, it will still go there. I wanted to get new ones anyway. It, yeah, it will still go there. But yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. And you guys are just amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for everything um, on that front. 
we have I have all of your email addresses. You'll be getting personalized thank yous from all of us, as well. And this is something we're just we're still trying to work out. But uh, you know, Brian Verderoso, you heard, you heard on the show last week for the Talking Movies crossover. Um, he got us those shirts for Comic Con. He has, he has a connection with a shirt maker, and um, his kind of donation is he's going to get shirts made up for every person who donated. Boom. Um, so you and they're uh, lovely shirts. Yeah, they they are lovely shirts. Are. You'll be getting an email, <laughs> and they don't degrade in the wash. They no. don't. They hold, they hold up great. So whoever he uses, um, it, it did a really great job. You guys will be getting uh, those shirts with talkingcomics.com on the back instead of talkingcomicbooks.com on the back. Uh, and so we'll be we'll in touch with you to get your addresses and and the size information from you guys. But again, I mean, it's unbelievable. It was unbelievable the amount of support. So, you know, whether you gave a dollar, whether you gave a hundred dollars, it you didn't have to give anything. And it was amazing yeah. that you guys took time and th- the money to help us get this goal. Um, without any promise of anything back other than the fact that it might be a little easier for you to get to the website <laughs> that's all so amazing and we'll be thanking you guys for from here till the end of time probably for everything that you guys do for us um just amazing and, and thank you guys uh for listening last week uh this past month or so really since captain america mm-hmm. um we have we've had a bunch of new listeners um, we nice. had our biggest month ever last month and you know uh, our, our podcasts are getting more downloads than ever right now so Thank you to everyone who's been listening for a very long time, and thank you to all the new people who are maybe just uh, tuning in. Um, Indeed. Yeah. So if you guys listened last week, you heard the Talking Movies guys, listen to their show. We also have The Misfits, which just recorded their Lord of the Rings uh, retrospective this week. <laughs> We've got uh, Talking Games, hosted by Steve, which mm. is every Thursday uh, yep. comes out. Um, so I think you guys are doing a listener question show this week. Yeah, we've actually got enough listeners (laughs) and listener questions to start, uh, doing some of those. Mm. Uh, we tried to get to last week and it didn't work out, but yeah, we've been having a lot of fun with that show. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, definitely check it out. Um, we're at, uh, talking underscore games Mm. on Twitter. Yes. So that is the, that is the name. If you like video games, (laughs) do it up. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, you guys, get, that comes on the site, talking, talkingcomicbooks.com, for right now. You still have to go to that site uh, to get it uh, and check out there. Uh, and so, yeah, we have a, a full cadre of podcasts. And also, uh, we have a lot of listeners, a lot of the time, asking us to please talk more about Valiant uh, mm-hmm. books. Well, uh, our very own Adam Shaw, who has been kind of the Valiant guy for the last year plus for us, has just started a Valiant-centric podcast, the wow. first of which is up now on the website. So if you love Valiant and you want to know more and you want you want to hear more about those books and the big summer of Valiant that's going to be happening, that's the place to go. So look for there. I, they're still getting approved for iTunes, so there's no iTunes link, but you can listen to it uh, on the site right now. So that's all of the the other stuff, all the business stuff to get rid of. Uh, let's talk about some comic book stuff. So biggest thing that happened it happened just today which is a big a big surprise for us because usually we record this podcast and then on wednesday morning they're like this is this huge thing that you have to wait a week to talk about not this time uh zach snyder uh tweeted a picture of the batmobile and ben affleck in the batman costume in black and white very moody very artsy picture um taken himself not a, not a like official production still, but obviously official enough where it was approved for him to to, to let it let it out there. Um, you know, I was talking to Brian uh, for, for Brian about this today. He's like, it's crazy because the movie's two years away, and we're we're getting stuff like this already. Um, but it hit the internet. It, it was huge. You know, we put it on on Twitter and on Facebook, and we got a lot of response to it. Uh, Bob, what did you think of the costume? 
I like it a lot. And it, it's really interesting. It is Affleck in the suit. This is not a stuntman. You can see that it really is him. Love this sort of grayish tones to this. Love the idea that it's not all body armor and all sort of a wetsuit moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Very, I look at it as a, really a cross between Miller's Dark Knight and Burton's mm. more than what we've seen over the last mm. three, which I kind of like. And you were mentioning it's the Jim Lee ears. Yeah, Jim Lee ears and kind of the, the shape of the cowl is very a very Jim Lee Batman look to it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Batmobile too. Mm. More of a car this time than some sort of moon buggy. Yeah. So very happy with that. Yeah, and I like the tumbler, but I, I owe... I was always hoping that in the Nolan movies, it would slowly kind of pare itself down to look more like the, a Batmobile. No. Uh, it didn't. It say say the tank. Um, I thought it was a cool idea. It was a cool t- way to interpret it in kind of his his universe that he was creating. But I owe, uh, you know, my, my, my first Batmobile for me was the Burton Batmobile. So I always kind of look for that. And this definitely has aspects yeah. of that to it. That was it. a very cool Batmobile. That's, yeah. That's up on the, in the upper levels there. Maybe not the Adam West one, but close. Right. <laughs> Just a car with some fins on it. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a convertible. It was a, it was a real car. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah. F- a Mercury Future. It's always breaking down left and right, like every day on the set. <laughs> well, it's put together from a car that was already 15 years old. That was a Ford prototype that wasn't was never meant to hit the streets. It's in some go. Glenn Ford movie. I've heard like a couple Roman of Roman the Afternoon or something like that from '55. It's a real. It was in the movie. Huh. Painted not like a Batmobile. I heard horror stories about that and the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Yeah, that it was just constantly maintenance galore, and there were several of them, and all of them didn't work at one time, and it was just a nightmare. Yeah, those cars. Those cars were notoriously bad for that kind of stuff. Here on the island, we were in DeLorean Central. There was a guy. No one's going to know this in Sava, which is about two towns from where we record here. In the backyard of his house, he had about 30 of them. What? He was collecting DeLoreans. As they broke down, he was buying them for next to nothing. Wow. And fixing them up and selling them to movie collectors and everybody wanted a time machine. Mm-hmm. Somebody posted a picture today on Twitter. It was a picture of from uh, Batman and Robin. It was Alicia Silverstone, Chris O'Donnell, and um, George Clooney uh-huh. on their bat costumes. Oh, they just said, man. never forget. <laughs> 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 God. Oh, those, those were the worst. If we're if we're going to talk about bat suits, those are yeah. the, those are the worst. Well, one of our um, Matthew Odinson on on Twitter said, "Bat nipples like Batman and Robin. No bat nipples like Batman and Robin equals good start." <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Steve, what do you think of the costume? I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I um I like the coloring. I like the the gray and black. I'm assuming it's black because we got a black and white photo. Yeah, yeah. More or less. Movie. It definitely looks like it's multi toned. It's not. It's definitely not one color. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, really digging the cowl, digging the ears, mm-hmm. like the really like the short ears. I was impressed with Bat Affleck's build. Yeah. I was kind of like I was looking at the six pack, and I'm like, is that him or <laughs> like is this? Am I looking at cloth here? And it turns out that I was. It yeah. Just happens to be super tight, and I'm like, yeah. all right then. Yeah. Uh, he looks good. Yeah. He looks really good. I I'm hoping that with this excitement that when they finally show us the Wonder Woman costume mm-hmm. that we're equally as excited. It would be right. really nice if uh, they just had a true-to-form suit for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but if this is any indication as to the people that are putting these things together are going for their designs, then we might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, I know we've heard the, the costume designer talk about the Wonder Woman thing. He just They were like, well, you won't have her in like the battle gear, like you know the Amazon stuff. And he was like, why not? <laughs> 
you know? Mm. Why wouldn't she be dressed like that? Who Zack Snyder said that? No, the, the, the costume designer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's at the Oscars, right? Yeah, the yeah. Oscars, yeah. So, you know, I have the same reaction you guys did. I thought it was, it was awesome. I mean, I, I, like, I love the cowl. The cowl looks right. You know, it, it, I, I never dug the Christopher Nolan cowl. It was just too thick. You know, mm. and, and that big piece in the bottom, like Christian Bale looked like, looked like he was fat. You know, that the piece <laughs> that went around the chin part that went around. Just didn't dig it. Um, I love the fact that it's, it looks like it's, it's multi-toned. It's not just all black. Because, mm. look, I mean, when I was a kid, I thought that was awesome. And, and, but as I've gone along, it's just, it's, it's, I would like to see Batman more the way that he's painted in the, in, in the comics a little bit. Just the, the visual look of him. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, of all the people in movies, Batman has gotten the best treatment of just about anybody up yeah. until the last couple of years. So I think that, you know, we have nothing to complain about there. But I think that, I love, I love that it's not armor. Because Batman, well, why would he need armor? He's Batman. That's the point. Yeah. You know, he doesn't need it. He, he he's so good that he doesn't need it, and he needs to be, you know, he needs to be able to move. And the armor, you know, <laughs> makes that impossible. Did you ever see that video of Batman trying to get up from the various films, like the the the, the uh, Batman people. Forever? No, like yeah, like I, whether it's yeah. stunt people or the actor or in the movie where he's laying on his back and he kind of just has to roll over <laughs> to get up. It's awful. Batman would never be able to do that. Uh, so I loved that about it. I love that it, it, it's cloth. And when I opened the picture up, I was like, my first thought was, "Ooh, they made this suit a little bulky." And then I was like, "Oh wait, that's just Ben Affleck. <laughs> He's just that bulky." Um, yeah, it looks great. You know, I, I love the, the way it is. I mean, it's very black and white, obviously, and it's very, it's very contrasty. So it, it's tough to really get details. And there's been a couple, couple people online have jacked up the brightness on it and stuff, so you can see the detail and you can see the bat symbol a little better and see how it's all kind of laid out but it definitely has that frank miller mixed with jim lee kind of look to it and i i love the short ears as well and somebody pointed out too they look a lot like the daredevil horns besides the mm. daredevil horns in the daredevil movie as well yeah i'm excited i i think that as far as look goes i think they nailed it and i think it looks like a, a comic book costume which i think is fantastic because that's what it's a great start now if we can get yeah. superman adjusted a little bit yeah yeah and get and wonder I, woman put in the right place yeah they're going to want to sell toys, so they'll be, they'll be different Superman costume, I guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they do that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I, think, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's good. I, and, and after watching Spidey and, and the way that I think they got his costume more right in that than they've gotten it before, mm-hmm. this looks more right to me as well. So that, that's, that's cool that we've gotten those kind of two visual representations right in a row. I actually saw a picture of the Cap costume from Avengers 2 that it looks more... Oh yeah, like Cap now. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you know, p- moving away from Winter Soldier back to sort of the World War Two, yeah. the Avengers look. Oh, little, cool. Yeah, that's good. So more is it more like uh, Avengers One look? Yeah, little, not as many zippers and things. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I meant more like the one he wears at the end of the Avengers. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Okay, so cool. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm, I can't wait to see more from that movie as well. Obviously, <laughs> as we as we get closer to that. Um, some other stuff that, that happened, we, uh, we got some sales numbers. Uh, we knew, we already knew what the number one book was going to be. So that was a little bit anticlimactic. Um, because amazing Spider-Man number one came in at 532,000 <laughs> copies. Nice. Which makes it the best selling, um, book so far of this century. Seriously? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, the next one was another Spider-Man issue. It was the one with, uh, Obama on the, on the cover. Wow. So yeah. So, and 532,000 copies at 599 a pop. Um, the number two book was Superior Spider-Man number 31 uh, at 135,000 copies also at 599 a pop so a lot of, a lot of bank from that's Spider-Man it's a, a lot of web fluid yeah, yeah. Uh, they, the number I think they said it was something like 
something like three million dollars, three point five million dollars, yeah. something like that. That's how much Amazing Spider-Man number one made nice. as a comic book. So it's very high grossing for for a comic book. Number three um, is Batman number thirty at one hundred eight thousand. Uh, Batman Eternal uh, number one at number four with ninety six thousand. Justice League number twenty nine at seventy eight thousand. Batman Eternal number two at seventy six thousand. Um, you, you got to see the 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 erosion numbers for a yeah. for a month to month book in one month here. Um, uh, Hulk number uh, number one was seventy three thousand. Um, Original Sin zero seventy three thousand. Um, and Batman Eternal three and four around seventy two and seventy thousand. So that looks to be at least we'll have to see how it goes a little farther. But in fact, the two the two books came in around the same total. Makes me think that we're looking at probably those numbers. Yeah, the big drop weekly. was one to two. Yeah, and then it was little, little bits, bits. Little yeah. bits. So you might see it kind of find a, a a plane somewhere around like you know like sixty or sixty five. Which mm-hmm. for a weekly book, you're still getting a good mm-hmm. a good dump of money on that. Uh, Justice League United number zero at sixty eight thousand. Then two issues of The Walking Dead at sixty seven and sixty six thousand. Um, all new X Men number twenty five at sixty three. Deadpool number twenty seven. The ten dollar book sixty two thousand copies. The ten dollar book it actually went up in sales from the month before yeah. at a ten at a ten dollar price point. Cha-ching. Yep, which is pretty crazy. It's uh, it, you know, it just keeps proving that 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 books that character's power. Another all new X Men at number seventeen at uh, fifty eight thousand. Inhuman number one at number eighteen with fifty eight thousand. Deadpool again, Deadpool versus Carnage number one fifty seven thousand. People love their Deadpool. They man. do, and I hear that Deadpool versus Carnage is actually really really good. Uh, I I would hope so. Yeah, it's uh, I believe it's another Colin Bunn. So it's got a good pedigree there. Batman Superman number nine, fifty six thousand, rounding out your top twenty. Um, Bob, are there any ones you wanted to point out as we go through? Well, there are some interesting ones. Well, uh, Harley Harley Quinn is still selling sixty thousand copies yeah. a month, despite mixed reviews and people not thrilled. And that's yeah. all of us here at, at yeah. a certain level. Mm. That's a lot of books to be selling, and there's no Batman in this book to be seen. No, so. She's a very. I mean, it's funny. It's it's kind of, it kind of lines up with the, the Deadpool thing, right? It's, yeah. it's very similar, I think. Type. I think you're absolutely right. Type yeah. audience and type, uh, love for that character for the kind of the same reasons they love Deadpool. Yeah, absolutely. It's she's a character with a lot of clout and a lot of a lot of fans. Big right? hammer. A big huge hammer. <laughs> a lot of the Marvel number ones really did well. Iron Fist at fifty three thousand. Yeah. Nightcrawler forty nine. Electra forty seven. Mm. Sinestro at 46 was, is, is a huge number yeah big number for a villain book yeah absolutely because yeah. yep. Magneto came in at number 58 and sold this is number 2 sold 35,000 copies mm. down 54% yeah it's a good book too yeah good most, book. most of the other Marvels dropped in the 30s mm-hmm. sort of hung in that way Ms. Marvel seems to have stabilized in the high 30s which is not too bad mm-hmm. I'm sure Marvel's yes pretty happy with that <laughs> yeah absolutely and where were we? I had that in here. Oh, yeah, 37,000. Only down 11% from second to third issue. So that's probably, you see it stabilized mid-30s. Yeah, absolutely. Not so bad. Lumberjanes, which we all talked about, there were 13,000 <laughs> copies. That's awesome. For good for them. B- yeah. Boombox. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's good. It's good for them. It's a, it's a good place for them to be. Um, yeah, the, you know, it's, it's been, it, was like, it was a pretty good month <laughs> for comic <laughs> books in general. Yeah, uh, led, obviously, by... Um, Amazing Spider-Man, but uh, the top 300 comics sold 6.98 million copies, uh, which is up 3% from last year, um, and it's up it's up from every metro five years, 10 years, and 15 years ago. Um, so uh, the, the the sales were worth 27.96 
million dollars um, for the month, which is up 23% from last month and uh, from five years earlier and 10 years earlier and then 15 years earlier, all up, up 73% from the same month, 15 years earlier. <laughs> Obviously you're yeah. dealing with, you know, $6 book being the, the top <laughs> book. With- and the end of the speculator era was starting to all drift away. Yeah. So I wonder what the sales figures were, randomly speaking, in 1943. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, at, at a dime apiece, yeah. but Wonder Woman selling two and a half million copies a month and Superman selling three and mm-hmm. Captain Marvel selling four. Mm-hmm. We, need the sport, we need the sports almanac of comics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's $400,000 worth of Superman yeah. in a month. Yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> so it's, a, it's about, if we're selling 100,000 Superman at $4, it's the same number. Yeah, it's the same number. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Though $400,000 then worth a lot more than $400,000 now. At ten times, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're dealing with bigger numbers, obviously. Um, so yeah, in the trade department, Sex Criminals Volume One came in number one with ten thousand copies sold. Nice, which is huge, huge for a uh, huge for a, a, a first volume, huge for a book with a name like Sex Criminals. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's pretty big. Um, I think it was number one for the Times too. It was number one in the Times as well. The, yeah, I think a lot of parents are reading it. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Saga Volume Three. Was at uh, number two at at just about ten thousand as well. Um, East of West Volume Two at eight thousand. Uh, Saga Volume One still in there around seven thousand. Um, Amazing Spider Man Family Business, the original graphic novel from Marvel oh. at at sixty seven hundred. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One uh, from Marvel at at five thousand eight hundred fifty three. Joker, Death of the Family, doing well you know, in the mid-five. Saga's still up there, pretty deadly at number nine with 5,300. And Walking Dead, Volume 1, Days Gone By at number 10 with 4,900. Wow. I have no idea how many that's sold, but it's got to be a lot by now. Volume 1 of Walking Dead. It's got to be a ridiculous amount. Um, I always like reading the trades, because I, I, the, the numbers, because I feel like sometimes they are, they are more... They're a good indication of what the more mainstream audience is interested in, and, and uh, what people who don't generally buy comics or are, are interested in buying. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that Sex Criminals is number one means that that has that has reached out beyond just people who normally go to comic book shops talking about. It. I mean, yeah, because Sex Criminals sells well. Don't get me wrong, but not most people. I'm gonna guess who buy all you know six issues of Sex Criminals in the store are not going out and buying the trade. Sure. I'm sure some of them are, mm-hmm. but I don't think I don't think all of them are. I think it's a good gift book. It like, is a good like gift if book. you're looking to like get your friend into comics and mm-hmm. be like, you know, I, I bought this for you. Hmm. I want you to read it and and just tell me that you didn't laugh your ass off, please. Right. And they go and they read it and they're like, oh my god, hmm. what else can I read? Yeah. It's a good gateway book because it's one of those like, oh, I didn't know comic books did stuff like this type of book. Which is nice, and it's just so funny. It's so funny, which you don't get very often at all. I tell you though, I was I, Steve saw me looking through it when it came out. Mm-hmm. I was really disappointed. All the extras weren't there. Yeah, those letter pages. Oh all yeah, the screwy stuff that's in there. Well, that's their yeah. way of getting you to buy it monthly. Yeah. They want they got I guess some intended for you to buy it monthly. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's in the giant hardcover. Yeah, but also it's only at nine ninety nine. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Great know. image, great image prices for the, for their, their yeah. volume ones always. Yeah, like another like sixteen pages worth of extras and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you're asking for fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but very cool, and I like that. I like that they do that. Though I like that they give incentive for people to buy it. Um, you know, buy buy it month to month and to buy it in in the trade. It's cheaper in the trade, but you don't get all this cool, you know, mm-hmm. this cool little cool letter columns. But the letter columns are like amazing yeah. in Sex Criminals. One of the best aspects. But the same thing in Saga. Saga has an amazing letters column mm-hmm. and it's not in the trade either. So, 
they could probably do a sex criminals letter column standalone. Yes, they could. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It Fifty would. Shades of Sex Criminals. <laughs> that movie's coming too, so why not? <laughs> I'm glad we avoided saying that you know sex criminals had you know penetrated the mainstream marketplace. Well, no, we didn't avoid saying it, Bob, because you just said it. That's right. Sorry, take it out. So you <laughs> you ruined it, Bob. You really, really ruined it. Um, so <laughs> that's the that's the the big sales uh, numbers uh, for this week, uh, for this uh, for last month actually, and we'll see uh, what happens uh, next month. Uh, I don't know if there's any other news items that we should talk about. Or maybe we should just start talking about some books. Mm-hmm. Anything, anything I'm, big, I'm, Bob, that you want that you that you had in your, in your I brain? I know we... there's that happened. What about Channing Tatum? Oh, the Gambit, Gambit thing! I forgot about the Gambit what? thing. Yeah, they announced it today. They confirmed it. They asked. They found. Uh, they asked. Total Total Film asked Laura Schuler Donner on the red carpet because mm-hmm. there, there were all these rumors going around. Um, they asked her on the red carpet for the premiere of X Men: Days of Future Past, and she said, "Yep, Channing Tatum is playing Gambit." That's basically what wow. you said. And it got confirmed all over the place. They, they released a statement. It, it looks like, uh, in addition to being part of a future X-Men group films, they're also going to be doing a Gambit spinoff film, uh, which makes sense. He's a hugely popular character, probably the character that people have been asking for the most of any character. We got a little little bit of him in the Wolverine film, X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, played by a very good actor who has horrible luck picking roles in Hollywood, <laughs> Taylor <laughs> Kitsch. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, uh, Bob, what do you what do you think? This is the first you hear in the news, so what do you think of it? Absolutely, I don't know if I've seen Channing Tatum in anything except <laughs> posters. So help me out here. He He's was good. he looks good on posters. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a really big head. He all right. Well, Roger Ebert used to say most really great movie stars have big heads. Sure, they do. They I do. liked him a lot in Twenty One Jump Street. Mm. I thought that movie was going to be garbage. I sat down to watch it. First 20 minutes is like, yeah, and then out of nowhere, it blows up. It is hysterical. I laughed my ass off. He's got comedy chops. He's done the romance thing before. Um, He could could pull it off. I wouldn't say that I'm excited about it. I'm not opposed to him being the character and going off to do what they're going to do. I just, I just don't care about it yet. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not like in love with the character. Right. Yeah. So right now it's, you know, to me, it's. They already did Wolverine Origin, and that was bad. Yeah. And now they're doing another spinoff film of a character that's, I mean, he's not Wolverine. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. He mm. seems to have a lot of passion for the character. He's been wanting this for a while. Yeah, he does. So yeah. That's important. Yeah, no, that is very important. And if he, can, if he can bring some of those comedic chops that he's got to the character, they can get some good people behind it. It could be cool. Mm-hmm. I need more. Apparently, he's Southern, which I did not know. Yeah. So I've never heard him speak in a Southern accent before. Um, so I didn't even know that. But, you know, like you said, I think he has a great passion for it. He's, he's constantly talking about it. He obviously he went after the role. So that, that I think, is great. Um, I think that the X-Men films right now are kind of on an upswing as far as what we're seeing uh, creatively as well. You know, I, First Class was great. Um, I, I, really, I really like the Wolverine a lot. I think Days of Future Past is going to be really good. So I think that you've got a good team of people kind of there. I, I think finally mm-hmm. the people who love the property are in control of what's happening to the property. Mm-hmm. So I think picking um, – you pick a pretty big movie starts. When you pick somebody this big, it's obvious you want to make a solo movie because he's going to be in the ensemble movies, but you don't cast somebody like this if you don't want to make yeah. right. you know, a solo movie. And he's one of the more popular characters uh, outside of – uh, you know Wolverine. He he's he's one of the most popular. So I think that it makes sense. Right actor at the right time. I've never seen him play a role like Remy before, so I don't. I so I don't know what he can do with it. But I agree with you, Steve. 
21 Jump Street, I thought it was going to suck. I made fun of the trailers when it was coming out. <laughs> yeah. And then I watched it and I was like, this movie is hilarious. It was. It was good. <laughs> yeah. And Channing Tatum is awesome in it. One of those things where I had no opinion of Channing Tatum except like he seemed like a little bit of, a little bit wooden to me. That's what I always thought of him. Mm-hmm. And then I saw him in that movie and I was like, this guy is really funny. You know, so well, you can't be too funny, I guess, in G.I. Joe. He was in that no, one. No, you right? can't yeah. be too <laughs> funny in G.I. Joe. Uh, and he's not very good in that first he's way better in the second movie. What about Dear John? I didn't see it. I don't I don't I didn't see any of those like romantic movies in the end. That's okay. where he really popped was those movies. Um, he kind of became a movie star like overnight, basically. Yeah. With the, with those movies, um, he did that one in the other one. Was he in the Vow? Is he in the Vow with Rachel McAdams? I think he is. <laughs> I don't know. He's in both <laughs> of those movies like 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 four months apart, and they both made like a hundred million dollars. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder what Repstones thinks of of Channing Tatum. I I'm really surprised I didn't see anything from him on Twitter. I, I was know. expecting it. I looked around and I was like, oh, I'll I got to check up. I got a text from Brian at like eight, eight seven o'clock in the morning, being like. Channing Tatum is is uh, is Gambit scooped because <laughs> we always have this thing where we'll text you their big news that happens, and I always get him. So he made sure to do it right away. That's funny. Um, yeah, it's cool. You know who knows? I, I I don't know if you're a fan of the Gambit character. Or... He's not one of my favorite X Men, but he's had really good moments throughout the history of this book, and mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, he was really cemented by the cartoons yeah he was yes yeah. absolutely it really That's... pulled into the everyone's consciousness yeah it's nice to have a ground level hero and all mm. these big ones someone who can be instantly relatable as a human being which is why i kind of like jubilee that no one else seems to <laughs> but it's that same sort of factor he can be your in mm-hmm. right because he can't turn into an uh, iron colossus mm. right or fly through the air it's <laughs> What am I doing here? Kind I feel of like thing. he's the Michelangelo of the X Men <laughs> cartoon show. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And he was like, he was like the cool guy that turtles yeah. we're talking here. Tur- turtles, yeah, like he's got he's got the coat and the eyes and yeah. the accent and the cards and everything. Yeah. I just I don't know. Cool I never really. There. I was a Rogue man. I always loved Rogue. She was she was awesome. Well, how can you how can you like Rogue? And they were an integral team. I on that show. Yeah. I, that maybe that's why. Yeah, you had a crush I on her. Oh. I was so jealous. <laughs> Leave her alone, you. Yeah, he um Cajun. Yeah, he's funny because he's a later like he. I think he was a '90s creation. I'm yeah. pretty sure mm-hmm. Claremont and Claremont and Lee are are credited with creating him. So yeah, I mean he was always a. I was always a big fan of him for the cartoon series. Like he was always second to Wolverine for me, and who I thought was like the coolest people on the show. So I want to hear Channing Tatum's Gambit. You know yeah, what? No. I want the movie to come out just so I can hear that. <laughs> oh. And from what we what we hear about Days of Future Past, uh, it's really kind of resetting the clock for you know for forward new actors playing roles that were played by other actors before. So we, we've heard rumors already of, of an apocalypse. We're going to see new actor playing Cyclops, new actor playing Storm, new actor. Oh. Uh, so I think they're much like what they did with Star Trek, with the Abram Star Trek. They're using kind of a story reason to recast major roles. Uh, so so we'll see what happens with that. And so I, I, I would hope that would lead to some better rogue stuff. In, in the movies, because Anna Paquin's a fine actress, but the, that the character in those movies is not rogue. No, particularly, I didn't mind the first one. It was yeah. a, sort of a touching story, yeah. and she discovers her powers. She was awfully whiny in that third one. She was. <laughs> she gave her powers. Come on, spoilers for X Men Three. <laughs> well, there's there's a, an alternate ending where she doesn't. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is a much better ending, yeah. Frankly, but <sighs> well, what I heard was in X Men Days of Future Past, they do, they just don't spend any time. Like explaining the stupid stuff that ha- that happened after X Men Two in any Smart. of their movies, they're just like Xavier is alive, deal with it. Like that's kind of like yeah. <laughs> you know, it's they're just not dealing with that stuff. So which I think is pretty cool because who wants to waste time talking about that stuff? Yeah, so it's pretty cool. I mean, it's cool news. We got it's weird because it's so nebulous. Like there's no announced movie. 
He's not even officially announced for X Men Apocalypse, so we don't even know where he's coming from. But it's cool that he is confirmed and that Gambit is coming, and that's going to make a lot of people happy. I think that that character mm-hmm. is on the way. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's something almost related that's flying around as a rumor uh, for the Fantastic Four movie: mm-hmm. uh, Sue and Johnny mutants. Really. It's not confirmed, but there's talk for trying to link the movies moving forward. That's odd because Simon Kinberg was they just interviewed him this past weekend, and he said he's like he's like for right now the universes aren't linked. He's like because he he mentions specifically he goes so if if they come back from space and the X Men already exist, then they're just mutants to everybody. You know, there's there's nothing there's nothing fantastic or special about them if there's. 35 other people yeah. <laughs> that have very similar powers. He's like, so the, the two the two franchises need to exist on their own. They need to build themselves up and then maybe in the future they can be linked at some point. But they need, to, we, he's like, I need, they need to stand on its own first. I need to make okay. this movie important mm. before you can, you know, go on to other things. And so we'll have to see. I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, in fact, that, that's the same him makes me think it's not that they're, yeah, they're not going to do that. So who knows? What do we make of uh, a clip from Fox's uh, Days of Future Past being uh, the uh, during the credits of Amazing Spider-Man. 2. I think it was just them paying for it. They just wanted a, a okay. good, some good ad space. So for it's it. not no, Sony it's a, merging with Fox. No, no, I no, no. That. It's it's got to do with Mark Webb. Okay, no, really? right there. It's a payback. Oh, really? For him to be able to do Spider-Man, he had to get bought out of some Fox deal. Oh, and okay. so as a payback, well, then we'll you put our movie in your movie. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's the two right. movie companies making a deal. Making a deal. Interesting. Interesting. I did not know that. Shaking hands. Yeah. yeah. It's a cool little uh it's a cool little tease. It was a cool little tease. Um little uh little mystique. <laughs> Would have been nice if she was in, you know, Times Square or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh Toad. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, a little toad, I forgot about that. Yep. Uh so yeah, but we'll talk <laughs> we're gonna talk plenty about X Men in the coming weeks because that movie's gonna come out. It's coming out soon. Next right? week. I think, right? What? Well, Godzilla's Friday. Godzilla's Friday. Yes. And then next week is X-Men Days of Future Past. Wow. What? So it's crazy times. Crazy times. Oh, wow. I'm going to... All right. Wow. I just realized. Never mind. Off show talk. <laughs> now, now, Guardian has been pushed back a little bit, I think. Oh, it was th- still in August? No, it's still in August. Okay. Yeah, I no. might actually be able to go to the movies with my girlfriend and see a comic book movie. Nice. It's the first time <laughs> in over a year and a half that we've been together this wow. will happen. Nice. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, that would be nice. I'll talk to her about that later. That is awesome. All right, so let's move on from news. Let's talk about some books. Let's start out with our, our lightning round. If you guys have been listening the last couple of weeks, you know that we started a segment where we put three minutes on the clock, and we have three minutes to talk about um, a set of books that possibly aren't big enough to fit in books of the week or books that we've talked about a bunch already and just want to kind of check in on and say, hey, they're still great. Uh, they fit into three minutes, and then um, it moves on to the next person. Uh, and then we do our regular book of the week with uh, two books after that. So I need to get my uh, my stopwatch out here so we can we can put time on the clock. Um, we need a real clock, like an we NBA 24-second clock. We need like one of those <laughs> chess, chess clocks. clocks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what we need. All right, so let me put, I got three minutes on the clock. Let's see. Who's going to go first? Who's going to go first? Ring around the rose. <laughs> Bob, let's start with you. Nice. You have three minutes on the clock. Lightning round, go. First off, a lot of people probably didn't pick this up because it's the Batgirl annual number two because people don't pick up annuals of any kind. They don't matter anymore. This one does. goes through about four different time periods, and it's a really great story of Poison Ivy. Some back history with her. She's really deeply emotional. Great new art by someone named Robert Gill, but Batgirl annual number two. 
Red Sonia number nine. She's on a quest for the greatest artisans of all types, uh, a cook in one issue. In this case, world's greatest courtesan. Ah, yeah. Yeah, and it's... Sharing the bedroll. There's some... You get to see Sonia all dressed up, which is kind of neat. X-Factor number seven. Amazingly, I was not having fun with this. This book is picking up. This ah, is turning into X-Factor. Good. The, the team is assembled, lots of humor, a great storyline here. So if, if, if pick up the first trade, you want it, and then move forward for X-Factor. Or find the packages, they're probably cheap. Then it's some Silver Surfer stuff. Just, I want to just fourth what everyone said about Silver Circle Re- Requiem, just brilliant. And when Steve goes oh. to Canada next time, I'll be getting one because I'm not spending $40 for one. I'll find you one, Bob. There you go. Silver Surfer number two is just charming and wonderful. It is crazy and goofy. Uh, you're romantic and sad, and it's the first time in comic book history where acid reflux saves the day. <laughs> Uh, Dawn Greenwood, they, they still have just sort of met, and it, what this reminded me of, people peaked this one up, it's Mike Allred, certainly Dan Slott. Back in the late 90s, they, in the, after Onslaught, they redid The Silver Surfer, and his traveling companion then was Alicia Masters. He gets, his memories get wiped out, comes back to Earth, hooks up with her because well, she's the person who taught him about emotions in people. You end up here back in the 1940s. She meets her real father, her stepfather, Philip. The surfer restores her sight because of the time travel. She gets to see New York and everything else, and it just ends with them in a charming embrace because you shouldn't be alone. Hmm. And that's it for me. Mm-hmm. How did I do? Well, you did good. You have 45 seconds left. So I'm going to ask you about which, what was your favorite um, story in Requiem? Wow. I, just, I read it as a lump. Yeah, see, me too. I read it as a... See, to me, it's him in the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. so it's just that beginning. Yeah. But the Spidey stuff. Yeah. And Mary Jane flying around on the board. Yeah, I, uh, I, I might have to go with that. Yeah. The Galactus stuff killed me, too. Yeah. The fact that he shows up, and it's just, it just humanizes the character in a lot of ways. It's well, crazy. There's some of that in here, too, because you see that Zen Law has been recreated by Galactus to try to save the surfer. Hmm. So he has something to go and look at, even though it's not really Zenla and it's not really Shalabal. It's mm-hmm. something he created to be there. Wow. So that's uh, Silver Surfer 123 to 131. Hey, there we go. <laughs> right on the button. Look at that. Right, right on the button. Amazing. All right, Steve, you're Yo. up, sir. All right. You've got lightning round. Go. Okay, so about the middle of last year, Greg Rucka put up on Twitter a Kickstarter for Monster Elementary uh, created by Nicholas Doan, and I'm going to try to get this right, Kanan Grawl or Kanan Grail. So there you go. Both. <laughs> Screwing up names since uh, 2000, whenever the hell we started, 2012. Uh, Monster Elementary finally got my Kickstarter package. I got a really cool uh, pin, sticker, all this stuff. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what this book is about, it's 16 chapters, uh, the whole book, with you know tiny little stories in between. And uh, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's monsters from classic movie monsters children uh, attending a human elementary school. Basically, the FBI have come and ransacked their own monster elementary. And before all the monsters can be rounded up, the, um, the gang that comprises of, I'll give you them in a second, are forced, uh, their parents force them to join a regular school for normals or normies. Uh, so in this group, you have Desmondus, who's the vampire, Lucos, the werewolf, Gilda is the creature from the Black Lagoon's daughter, Francesca is the daughter of Frankenstein, and Rags is uh, 
a child mummy found in Egypt by Egyptologists. Um, the book is very, very silly, very clever. It's a little hokey at times. It's definitely, it's an all ages book and it's definitely geared towards more, uh, a younger audience. I would say anywhere from like, I don't know, first grade to maybe fifth or sixth would get a, a really big kick out of this. But, um, it's super, it's interesting that the book is very funny, it's very cute, it's very cartoony, but it's also got these really harsh reality moments, like, peppered throughout, and has, um, like, really, really harsh life lessons for kids to kind of take a little uh, thing away from stuff about uh, adoption, and being different, and being alone, and it's also filled with devils, and demon cows, and cats with grappling hook guns, and black magic, mm -hmm. and zombie twins, and it's... It's cool. It's got, it's, it, there's a lot of varying artwork, like from story to story. Some of it's really cool. There's one or two of them in particular that I thought were fantastic. And then there are others that kind of drop off in quality. There's one in particular I did not care for. Mm. But uh, nothing about it ever takes away from the book overall being a lot of fun. I'm not entirely certain if this is going to be available in stores uh, anytime soon, but you could probably find it online. Um, there is a uh, USB code for it in the back, so I'm sure that there's going to be more. Uh, and they've promised another book. So uh, this one sold incredibly well on Kickstarter, and uh, they're looking to make more of it. So if you're looking for something to read with your kids, uh, take a look around for Monster Elementary from Nicholas Stone and Kanan Grawl. That is my lightning round. Awesome, dude. Five seconds left. Boom. You rocked it on that one. <laughs> nice. You kicked that one's ass. All right, here we go. <laughs> Classic iPhone. All right, so <laughs> I will I will go get my lightning round ready here. All right, lightning round, go. All right, so uh, first I want to talk about Loki, Agent of Asgard, number four, just really quickly. Mentioned uh, number three last week, uh, last month, and how it really kind of brought back that feeling that um, that Karen Gillan feeling from Journey into Mystery. And this this keeps that same kind of feeling going. We we deal with a uh, Sigurd, uh, or Sigard. I don't know how to say his name. I was Sigard. Sigard. Yeah. Uh, who is looking for his sword that uh, Loki uh, has stolen from him? And Loki is you know in in his apartment with <laughs> uh, this character who can't can see through any lie you can't lie to her oh good which is a very interesting dynamic to be with loki um and they have a great relationship and you know it goes more into what he, his idea of what's happened to him and, and making this deal to to you know expunge his his crimes and dealing with mephisto as well and all these wonderful playbacks to what has happened to him and what his future could hold it's really funny really entertaining but it's, also really intriguing it's super funny yeah and the the last page is, is just fantastic um where we get an unlikely uh. team up for for loki who he he has done what the the all mother has asked him to do but he doesn't feel so good about it so he wants he wants to write that ship uh, and so he has a pretty interesting group of people to help him with that. But Loki, Agent of Asgard has been a, a fantastic, a really, really fantastic book. Um, the other book I want to talk about, about my lightning round, which is a big event book, and it might be book of the week material, but I wanted to get some other stuff in book of the week. So Original Sin, number one, from Marvel. Um, this is Jason Aaron and Mike Diodato. Uh, it is, and Frank Martin on colors, it's a murder mystery story, basically. The Watcher is dead, and the Avengers and a couple of their groups of people are trying to figure out um, what has happened. And of course the, the, the players you expect to be there are here, Iron Man, Thor, Wolverine, Captain America, Spider-Man, they're all here. But for me, 
The cool thing about the book is the inclusion of classic Nick Fury kind of being the lead in this investigation mm-hmm. because he doesn't really have a, a, a horse in the race. You know, he's just going to, he's just there to help. He doesn't, he doesn't really, he doesn't really work for S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore. He doesn't really work for the Avengers. He's kind of doing his own thing. And, but they all agree that he's the best person to, to lead an investigation about what happened. And his inclusion is really great because I think he brings a really good element to the book. Uh, I also love that Ant-Man is, is a big part of the book. Um, Emma Frost being a big part of the book. Uh, Black Panther and, and Doctor Strange. And The Punisher and Winter Soldier and Moon Knight and Gamora. All these kind of weird characters put together who are brought together uh, by you know someone who's basically putting together a team. And you don't really know why or who is doing it but someone is putting together a rather odd team of people to investigate what's happened outside of what's going on with the avengers and nick fury and stuff like that so i thought it's number one like most marvel event number ones it was excellent (laughs) we're gonna see what happens as as it goes along but jason aaron is awesome and i I really really loved it um and the art was was really nice as well really moody art he's been working diodato's been working on new avengers for a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, it's the same kind of look here. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to stay on it too long because we, obviously we're moving on to our books, but I don't know, Steve, if you got a chance to read it. I did. I read uh, I read number zero today. I really, really enjoy. I loved the, the Nova stuff. I haven't read. I was collecting Nova for a while, and then I dropped off maybe about halfway through. Not because I wasn't enjoying it, just because of budget cuts and, and whatever. Um, but really, really enjoyed getting back into that character, and it made me want to go back. I want to. There's two things that now I want to go back and pick up. Uh, I want to get the rest of Uncanny Avengers. I want to get the rest of Nova, and I want to get uh, pick up on Green Arrow again. Mm. Oh, Green Arrow's good. Yeah. Well, we'll get we'll get to to Future's End. Yeah. In a bit. Um, yeah. No, I'm I'm enjoying it. I have to finish the second half of issue number one. I I, I it was nap time by the, by the time that I got halfway through. It's a meaty ass book. It is meaty. Yeah, but no, it's 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 cool. It's um, it it's cool to have all of those characters in one place. I mean, we were saying this earlier between some of the events that are going on that with all of these characters and all of this, like, you know, people that might feel overwhelmed or how I felt overwhelmed in the beginning when we first started doing talking comics. And I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know anybody. I only know the main players. What's going on. I, there isn't a single character in any event going on right now that I don't know. Yeah. So it's a good feeling. I'm happy for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good, good feeling. Yeah. Uh, Bob, I know you said you weren't going to be picking it up. So I don't know if you scroll through I it did, in the shop. No, I definitely read it. Mm. I enjoyed that zero issue. I I enjoyed the watcher yeah. Yeah. bits of it. Right. This is if the event was all this, mm-hmm. seeing the Punisher and Doctor Strange together it's is cool. so bizarre. Yeah. Yes, I was and seeing Nick again, yeah. great. But the tie-ins begin this week already mm-hmm. with yeah, I know. the things that will change the Marvel universe forever. I'm done. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I yeah, can't, yeah. you know, and the some of them. I'm not spoiling any of Some of them sound just stupid. Right, yeah. That don't make a lot of sense to me. The murder mystery that they solicited, I was in for. Mm-hmm. They, people can go back and listen. Yeah. They'll hear me. I'm contradicting myself. Yeah. But I was into the murder mystery mm-hmm. aspect of this, and it's changed. The panel of the poor dead watcher is pretty upsetting. It is. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah, I agree with you, Bob. And I, I, we'll talk about this, actually. I want to leave this discussion because when we get to future Zan, we'll have a similar, similar discussion about this. But I agree with you about, about the tie-in stuff. But I want to leave that to a fuller discussion when we get to gotcha. future Zan. Um, so that is our lightning round. Not bad. I, I'm forgetting Stephanie this time because she's not here. <laughs> yeah, I'm forgetting her. Yeah. You remembered. She could phone in if she wanted yeah. to. She always phones in, Bob. That's the, she's a literally always on the line. phone. I don't let Canada stop me from podcasting. <laughs> me, me, me. 
Um, all right, so let's move on to our, our actual books of the week. Bob, why don't you start us out here? Oh, my. The one we'll start with, it's She-Hulk number four, which is Charles Soule and Javier Polito. And covers by, uh, colors by, oh, Munsta Vicente. All right. Hey. I think I'm close. Uh, at least I hope. This picks up directly from where three ended. Her client in that issue was, he's the, in quotes, the son of Dr. Doom, Christophe oh, Bernard, yeah. who is actually a little boy he kidnapped and brainwashed in, into being Dr. Doom so he could take over when Doom was busy. Of course. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not making this up. He no, actually course, did this. Yeah. If you're Doctor Doom, you need yeah. an heir, and who would marry Doctor Doom? Exactly. So he I gotta, creates, I gotta get a guy. He creates one. I gotta get a guy. <laughs> so, yeah, and in this case, it's a little boy who you, you can't do anything with. And now Jennifer wins political asylum for Kristoff, except Doom doesn't like that and just whisks him back to Latveria. So, would after having some give and take with her office assistant and shoving her pen right through her desk, which the monkey is really happy with. Love that monkey. <laughs> I don't even know why he's there. I'm sure it'll be big. Somewhere down the road, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this monkey is going to play Absolutely. a big role somewhere. But they, based on what Charles Soule has done so yeah, far. It's bana- the, bananas the, the, are my business. It's the watcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what ends up happening, uh, Jen figures she needs some high-powered legal help to help her figure this out. So she flies to San Francisco mm-hmm. and sits on top of the Golden Gate Bridge and talks to Matt Murdock. <laughs> In just a lovely, charming sequel uh, sequence, Love the way Polito's art has been laid out. It's just interesting. A lot of motion within the panels themselves on the page. The dialogue here by Charles Soule is just absolutely winning, including this Matt saying to her, is this about your client or is this about you? <laughs> and then as they're jumping around on the bridge, Matt in his Converse All-Stars is like doing handstands on top <laughs> of the Golden Gate Bridge. It's, hey, you want to go out? <laughs> I was like, I see if they're going to go out some, yeah, they go out and uh, beat up some villains and, and steal some stuff. It just, it's just an amazing yeah. little sequence here. I, I love She-Hulk, have from the very beginning. He is, Charles Soule has managed to capture, it seems like to me, every period of She-Hulk within one. Burns kind of fourth, wor- fourth world stuff is in these opening panels where you're hearing from Jen. You get Dan Slott's, real quirky stuff, and all this legalese in a painless way. This is not some, uh, oh, I, I, I'm getting a law degree reading Shield. <laughs> it is still lots of fun. In this case, there's lots of action as she heads over to Latveria to try to get Kristoff back. And a tremendous battle sequence, Doombots galore, including the biggest Doombot in the history of <laughs> civilization. <laughs> I, I've never seen this one before, but Jen's up to the task. <laughs> I, I love how colorful that book is. We do have a a, a Jay Giantess as as the lead. It does yeah. it, right away. You're in good shape. But yeah. The here are the dark sequences. It is still lit in such mm-hmm. a way that it's it looks like a movie. Mm-hmm. You're almost a day for night sort of shot. And the eyes are all right this time. They're not no sperm eyes. No sperm eyes this time. <laughs> Where are they looking? I don't know. Uh, well, not going there. But and we end with the mystery from the first issue, the blue file. Jen's apparently in trouble for some avenging business back in the days of Dr. Druid and the Shocker and all that sort of stuff. And leading forward and her new office assistant, Patsy Walker. The Hellcat. <laughs> now, this got me thinking, because mm-hmm. I think about things that I shouldn't be thinking about. 
Way back in 1972, in Luke Cage Hero for Hires number eight and nine, we need a sound. Yeah. We do. We need a sound. <laughs> the that creaking when, when, vault door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Bob starts to go on one of his journeys, just yeah. like that dreamy, like yeah. <laughs> play the music that happens. You know, when the in Mister Rogers, when the train goes, the trolley goes inside <laughs> yeah, the wall, perfect. goes to them. <laughs> Oh, God. This is really early in Luke's career, obviously, with issues eight and nine. It's Steve Englehart, mm. uh, George Tuska did the pencils, and Billy Graham, uh, well, William Graham Jr., as he'd be known later. And at that point, were probably the only African American artist working in comics then. And he also did these covers, which are really very, very cool. Great Luke Cage, and Englehart probably wrote the best one as well. So it's a real prime period here. And from what I've read, Steve Englehart said that. Billy Graham eventually was co-plotting these issues with him. Hmm. Guy comes to hire Luke for a job. Luke blows him off. He's got things to do left over from the last issue. He's got to rouse some bad guys and go visit his girlfriend, Dr. Temple, and do some Luke stuff. And very romantic, very old detective movie kind of thing, which is what the vibe was here. Very urban, but film noir sort of thing. He Eventually, this guy catches back up to Luke. And it's, well, you need to track down these four guys who've stolen some secrets from our country. Okay. Mm-hmm. He fi- Luke finds these guys. They're robots. They kick the snot out of him, drop an engine block on his head. And it's like, all right, well, what's going on here? Then tracks down the guy who hired him and discovers it's Dr. Doom. Mm. Well, I guess you've got as good a right to hire me as anybody else. I'm mm. not thrilled about it, but all right, you'll get your money's worth. It's 200 bucks a day. This is 1972. Luke finds the robots, ends up, they try to kill him. Some of them get busted up pretty badly. He you know, takes care of business, goes to the embassy to get his money. Uh, Dr. Doom pays no money if he can avoid it. He closed up the embassy and went home. <laughs> uh, so, of course, then what you end up is a very mad Luke Cage. Ooh, Charles Atlas at the back of these books. You get all these ads here. Uh, X-ray glasses. <laughs> would you like to read Luke Cage's dialogue here, Steve? Sure. Just for you do voices much more than I... Luke has just been stiffed for 200 bucks. You want me to go from here? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I apologize if this is really bad. That's how you play it, Doom. You, you motherless son of a witch. You'll find out how Luke Cage plays it. I'm coming for you, Doom. Some way, somehow, Luke Cage is going to nail you to the wall. Like Mr. T. I, that's that's yeah, the way you do it. That's if the way it's written. We're looking at the panel. Yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I hear when I see him. All right. Well, he's yeah. angry, angry. I wanted him fella. to sound cool. Yeah. And he is. So he has to get to Latveria. He... His office is above the Gem Theater in Harlem. Well, how do you get to mm-hmm. Latveria? Well, you go to the Fantastic Four and you borrow a spaceship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he basically busts into the joint, knocks the thing over. Uh, at this point, Reed and Sue are separated. They're in the midst of their year-long separation. So Medusa's part of the group. She admires Luke's spunk. Mm-hmm. Reed thinks this is pretty good, too. Ben's not so thrilled with this. He gives him a spaceship, and he basically flies to Latveria. Mm-hmm. And what he discovers over there is, well, first Doom's force field knocks down the ship because it's the Fantastic Four ship. He figures that's going on. They're in the midst of a robot rebellion over there, which is why those guys stole secrets and left, run by this alien character called the Nameless One, Faceless One, I'm sorry. Big-headed, round alien who's back from Astonishing Tales. And Luke finds himself on their side, breaking into the castle because he needs to get there too. He shows up. He and Doom have one of the big knockdown dragouts of all time. It <laughs> goes just pages, including. Okay, go ahead. 
<laughs> you did that so well. All right. This is last two panels. As, as Luke takes Luke takes Doom down. You ain't heard a word I said. Look, Joker, you do what you want on your own time. But when I deal with me, you do, you do me right. <laughs> or I'll do you wrong. <laughs> sucker. He, he, he doesn't yeah, say sucker. sucker yeah. He's his sweet in. sister a lot, whatever. Mm, what uh, he, he, he beats Dr. Doom. He literally just punches him out and snaps his armor down the middle by just punching. As he punched his way out of prison all those years ago, he just keeps hitting him in the chest plate till it breaks. Then there's a reversal in fortune as the rebellion shows up. This is just a smart, wonderful, great issue. The art team just delivered the action sequence, wonderful, loads of great emotional sequences. Well, Luke is a real person. And what should have been a book filled with exploitation, considering this came out of the black exploitation era of films, is something really winning and different. And that Marvel took a this is a big chance to do a book like this in 1972. I mean, the world, this is the, the Panther came first. This was, to my knowledge anyway, though I think there was a Charlton character. For the big two, this is the first African American character that headlined a comic book. And they made him real. And uh, Steve Englehart's credit, who we had here, and if we ever get him back, we'll, <laughs> we will have a long Luke Cage conversation. <laughs> These are great, fun books. This whole first run, it didn't... It, I'd almost have put this in my things that ended too soon, but this book ended running 125 issues between teaming up with Iron Fist and everything else. But there should That's have always... Nice run. Should have always been more, as, he, as now he's in the Mighty Avengers and back to where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Because that Luke Cage there is this Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Only now he has a wife and baby. Mm-hmm. But he was always about responsibility here. So these have been collected in those essentials, the black and white ones. I don't think there are trades or masterworks yet. But do yourself a favor. Those essentials, you get like 30 issues for nothing. Mm -hmm. It's like 20 bucks. Luke Cage, Hero for Hire. In this this case, numbers eight and nine. Nice. Thank you, Steve. You 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 certainly you certainly helped sell that. Yeah, I certainly don't know if I helped the non black exploitation aspect of (laughs) the book with my. That's how I always heard it, though. Look, Uh, this was when I think of Luke Cage, I think of a badass, and I think of Mr. T, (laughs) and that's my weak Mr. T. If I wanted to go straight Mr. T, I would have done it. (laughs) But this is not Mr. T. This is Luke Cage. This is watered down Mr. T. (laughs) Yeah. How I roll. Now, now, somewhere on one of our, I think it's in one of the Fantastic Four discussions, I found on the internet is a a fan video of White Luke Cage. Nice. Where this kid walks into the room, his his friend's sitting there, and he's, hey, my my grandfather just died. And the friend's going, well, that's too bad. No, it's great. He died, and he left me the rights to a famous Marvel character. Well, who is it? Luke Cage, hero for hire. And I think we should make a movie. I, I have, you know, he left me all this money. We should make this movie. And I, we, should, we should do it like the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so his friend is saying, well, great, I'll, I'll, I'll help you with that. You know, who should we get it? We, you know, this guy and this guy. And then Sam Jackson can't because he's doing this. No, we don't need an actor. I'll play him. <laughs> so he's this guy with, with, you know, he's sort of like poofed out curly hair. <laughs> yeah. Just, and so there's two minutes of him trying to be Luke Cage in like a yellow shirt. No, it's hysterical. Do we know anything about the direction that they're taking the Luke Cage show when it hits? It's going to be on Netflix, right? Yeah, they, yep. have, they haven't started talking about that one yet. There was some stuff this week about the Daredevil show because it's up first. Yeah. Joe Casada was talking about how involved he is in the making of the show, um, which for people who like Daredevil, it's a good, good sign. Yeah. Just gotta, Joe Casada is a big Daredevil guy. Um, they haven't really mentioned uh, what th- those tones are going to be, but I'm... Uh, 
what, from what they've said, the Daredevil show is going to give you an idea. It's going to be more uh, street level, more like Frank Miller Daredevil than like you know okay. Happy Go Lucky Daredevil. <laughs> um, so you're, I think it's going to all fit kind of into the, into a more street level, a little bit more serious, more edgy, edgy tone to it than the other Marvel stuff because that's where I think they want to do that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. They can take that risk a little bit more there. Than in, in the movie universe. Yeah, and they're saying it all counts. Yes, it this does. This is all connected to the cinematic universe. Hmm. And what I saw today was uh, Casada saying, think of it as one movie, yeah. one long yeah, Daredevil that. movie, yeah. which that that's good too. Yeah, absolutely. Rick got a plan. Mm-hmm. All right, then. I'm really excited about that show. Whenever they start announcing stuff, Really, really excited to see what they do with that. Drew Goddard helming it is is really is really Ooh, promising. I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, he's he's wow. writing it and running the show. So wasn't uh, Michael C. Hall? He was rumored. rumored. That'd be amazing. Yeah, he's perfect. He'd be amazing. That's I've, the Dexter guy. Dexter guy. Yeah, yeah that. Well, yeah, amazing. <laughs> hmm. He's not doing anything right now. No, Dexter's it's not. He, over. And they asked him about it, and he was like, "Yeah, if it's good, how's he feeling? Like, I know that I think he's, he's fine. Yeah, the cancer. Yeah, I think he's oh, good. Awesome. Yeah, good." Yeah, they they asked him about it, and he's like, "Well, no one's talked to me." He's like, "But he's like, if the script's good, I would absolutely love to do that." That's hmm. that's what he said. So sold. Pretty right. cool. Pretty cool. I'd like that. All right, is that all for you, Bob? That's all for me. All right, Steve, what do you got for us? I read Nailbiter number one. Ah, yeah, by oh, uh, Joshua Williamson. Yeah, Joshua Williamson. He's writing Ghosted, correct? Yes. And uh, art by Mike Henderson. My books are on the floor. One second. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so this guy named Finch, uh, Officer. Finch or ex officer Finch. He's he's having a bad bad day, bad time in his career. He gets a he's kind of a bad life. Yeah, <laughs> kind of out of a bad life. He uh, gets a phone call from his friend Elliot, and uh, Elliot is of the curious sort, and he has kind of a bit of an obsession with serial killers. And there just so happens to be a wonderful place called Buckaroo, Oregon, that houses a total of 16 serial killers <laughs> in one county. Yeah. Is it in one the water? Or is town, what's going yeah. on there? Yeah, they don't know yet. That's part of the mystery of the well, whole thing. Well, that's the thing. Is The question is, is it all connected? So Elliot it decides that he's going to take a, you know, old pack his bag and go to Buckaroo. And uh, in feeling that he's discovered something and that he's figured it all out, he calls his friend Finch and says, Finch, you got to get down here. I need your help. And you're the only one that I know that can, that can handle this, this type of stuff. So, you know, get your ass over here. And so Finch makes his way to Buckaroo, Oregon. And this what's going on is their most recent uh, outing of a, a serial killer is a man known as the uh, Buckaroo Butcher, who uh, or Nailbiter, if mm. you will, who, get this, he, he steals his victims, and he keeps them alive in like a, you know, one of those like dungeon-y, uh-huh. with a setup. puts the lotion on the One of those the serial skin. killer rooms, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of those little serial killer basements, puts yeah. the lotion in the basket, you yeah. know, sends it down. He allows them to live long enough till their fingernails grow of a certain length, <laughs> And then he slowly but steadily chews them down day after day until he starts to make it to like the nubs and their fingers and the bones and just basically starts to chomp away at them from the fingers on down, eventually making them into kind of a uh, buckaroo stew, if you will. (laughs) So this is pretty terrible. This place is filled with these kinds of people. Um their relatives are still hanging out. They're making these little, like, you know, stop-off places. The 
the museum of you know sure, serial yeah. killer history and this is gotta the, have some souvenirs yeah you know this is the real bag that my pappy wore when he you know mm. stole 16 children and killed them and <laughs> peed on their corpses and you know set fire to their parents and stuff like that so it's a pretty nasty place it doesn't Finch- sound like norman rockwell's gonna be painting no. this town right. yeah so um i just read uh southern bastards by jason aaron yeah which i really liked it was good right? really liked yeah. yeah it had a little bit of like a joe hill kind of vibe to it yeah a little bit uh really enjoyed it but you know here's another story where we're going you know to like a, a southern place and there's all these characters and weird people and groups of people that basically just exist to cause trouble and uh, Finch, in his looking for his friend, trying to get some information as to where he might be because he's lost contact with him since hearing from him last, runs into the local rabble and is introduced to the sheriff of the town, Sheriff Crane, and basically finds out that she knows uh, the fate of his friend and they're going to investigate. And it spirals out from there. If you've ever seen the show, uh, it was just out recently, True Detective. Uh, This is very much in the vein of True Detective. It's got a really, really rich sense of history. Just in the first comic, there are stories within stories in this book. There are things that I want to know about as the book goes forward. There's people that are related to all these different uh, serial killers that are still there that know their stories. And uh, yeah, I don't want to give too much of the book away because there is a pretty big twist, a little bit of a uh, Hannibal Lecter-ish kind of yeah. twist at the end. That's the part I'm actually kind of most excited about. Yeah. 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 Um, just another, I mean, Ghosted has been really cool. I'm maybe two issues behind, but had really, really enjoyed the first arc and uh, will definitely, you know, make the time to, to pick up... Uh, the book again but a really strong start you know another image number one that shows a tremendous amount of promise and it's really really uh moody the artwork by uh i don't want to shortchange uh mike henderson the artwork for this book is really it's grotesque but it's gorgeous at the same time as much as much violence that does happen um i love the lighting of the characters and the just the mood the constant rain, uh, the fact that they draw attention to it and that possibly the rain might have something to do with just the moods of the people. I don't know that for sure, mm-hmm. but they seem to, at least two characters make note. I don't know if they're just drawing a parallel between them so that they can get together. You see likeness you know, between the two characters. Oh, these people get mm-hmm. along. But um, lots of mystery surrounding what's going on in this town. And uh, I like it. I'm really, I'm, I'm totally up for another issue. Yeah, me too. I really, I, I really dug it. Um, I, I think that <laughs> I the I like the idea of this guy's past because we don't know. We see it's kind of it's told out of order. We see w- when this this nail biter kind of killer is first caught, but then we kind of flash around a little bit, and we get to this point where this guy is not in the force anymore. And you you first kind of just assume it's because the case was so horrible that he kind of just left. But you got a scene in the middle of the book that points to maybe it wasn't his choice to leave Ooh. the force that maybe he had a little bit of a break or something and couldn't deal um and then he was forced off forced out of the police so i thought that was intriguing i thought the town was cool i love pacific northwest t- 
towns as like bizarre yeah. characters, mm-hmm. you know, like Twin Peaks, Alan Wake, like those kind right. of stories. I love, I love that as, as a, as a take. I think the idea of a town that maybe is the birthplace of the serial killer, I think is a fun yeah. way to go about it. And when I read the, uh, the pitch for it, I was like, this sounds really cool. It's going to be really dark and really intense. It is intense. It is dark, but it's also a lot of fun. There's also a big sense of fun to it. Right. Um, you know, kind of archness to it, which I thought was cool, which I did not expect reading the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, shows a lot of promise. I yeah. mean, he's, he's a great writer. Yeah. He's done some really cool things in the last, uh, year and like two years or mm-hmm. so, uh, masks and mobsters. Yeah. And I mean, it, I'm, I'm totally onto it. Mm-hmm. I had more to say, but I'm losing myself. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Let's talk about Uncanny X-Force. Let's talk about Uncanny X-Force. All right. Finally. Uh, Justin will be hearing this. I haven't told him that I finished his book yet. He's going to be thrilled. Why aren't you reading the last one, man? You only have one trade to go. It's been weeks. Uh, so I finally finished Rick Remender's Uncanny uh, X-Force. And uh, I want to give credit to some of the other creators that were on this epic run. Seven volumes. Uh, you have Jerome Opeña, Phil Noto, Mike McCone, and Greg Tocini. Mm-hmm. Uh, artists contributors, all of that good stuff. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Uncanny X-Force is Wolverine has banded together with a group of, you know, some of your more serious cutthroat X-Men or mutants from around the Marvel Universe. And they're essentially going to take care of things before they happen to prevent, you know, future events. The, the idea is if it never happens... It can't hurt anyone. As we know, we all read comics. If you go back and you take care of things so that one thing doesn't happen, (laughs) an ocean of other problems arises, and then you have to deal with all of that. Um, They're like the SEAL Team 6 of the X-Men. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Like the wet ops, you know, team. Yeah. So I'll give you the the, the starter. The starter group is uh, Wolverine, Angel, slash Archangel, mm. Psylocke, uh, Phantom X, Deadpool. Uh, am I missing anyone? No, not from the initial team. I don't think so. All right. And it, it changes a little bit yeah, throughout, yeah. you know, throughout the story. So, um, yeah, so we've been reading X-Men stuff for, uh, you know, since we started this, more or less, once we got off the, the DC train, started mm. to explore a little bit of Marvel. And um, I'd never really read, I never read a whole lot of, like hunkering down on the X characters and reading an epic run um, that somebody had created. This is hands down the best thing that I've read so far mm-hmm. using these characters um, and characters that I didn't think were going to wow me the way that they did ended up doing just that. Uh, I know you mentioned Phantom X. Yeah. My, my favorite character in the book. Okay. Yeah. I loved Phantom X. Uh, this was a great introduction to the character. If you've never, if you don't know anything about him, uh, this is your way into that character. Mm-hmm. If you want to really see the scope of the character, because so much of this story and so much of Rick Remender's Uncanny X Force is the arc of the characters that within the team. They all go through so much, and they all mean so much to each other just their actions, saving one another, giving their lives for one another, making these really, really tough decisions that build them as characters as you go throughout the book. My favorite character was Deadpool. Deadpool's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best Deadpool, I think. 
It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, I love the Cullen Bunn stuff. I love, you know, I even liked uh, a lot of the Deadpool with um, Brian. I can never say his last name. Brian Posehn. Yeah. And Jerry Dugan. And Jerry Dugan. Liked that for a little while. Um, But this was Deadpool like I'd never read him before. Uh, How spoilery can I get with this? You can get pretty spoilery. I think, I mean, I would say that maybe not like... We don't name like the big huge events that happen necessarily. All right. As far as like you know the I guess you know what like I mean it's it's a book that's a couple of years old. I wouldn't I wouldn't spoil and I would be careful as you can, but don't stop talking about the book. All right. Let's let's yeah. let's put it this way. A decision is made to to get to get rid of someone who is going to be responsible for an insurmountable amount of future damage. It's right. going to change the entire landscape of the universe Mm -hmm. for not just for us but for it stretches out into other universes and they even go there in in the story um deadpool is the one that he's the first one that's like i have a problem with this yeah i have a real problem with this yeah and he never loses that yeah through all of the jokes through all the funny situations that they put him in and they do put him in funny stuff it's not just all serious Mm -hmm. you know weepy deadpool it's deadpool being funny and joking around but it's also him being very um just a human just a human being Mm -hmm. you know he kind of drops the assassin thing when it counts he always has it when he needs it um, but I mean, he, th- he throws himself in, in front of fires left and right throughout the story. Yeah. Um, really, really fantastic stuff. Yeah. What I love about the, what they do with this character and the thing about it is like you said, it's before things go wrong. So the point is they want they want to kill this person before he's ever done anything wrong. Yeah. Right. So that's the kind of the moral, uh, the moral quandary here. But what I love about Deadpool in it is that he acts like he does in his other books, but he's surrounded by other characters. So they just see him as insane. Right. Because he'll stop and he'll turn and he'll talk to no one. Like he's talking to the audience. And they, people are just, they're just thinking he's, he's crazy. But yeah. it is an interesting way to, to give a character a trait you wouldn't expect. Right. And I love that they temper it. You know, it, it, because he's in this serious situation, because these other characters playing off of him, the, the instinct to go completely madcap and over the top is, is sheltered. And to a point where he is, he has levels. He's a person. He he has right and wrong, just like you said. It's it's mm. a, to me, it's the best Deadpool I've ever read. Well, he winds up being the moral compass, yeah. like more than once, mm-hmm. which in a group of those kinds of people is pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the stuff they did with Wolverine was interesting in regard to thinking of this as you know the preamble to him getting into the Wolverine and the X Men series and him going back to the school and running the school and. This is what he was doing before he really decided to stay there and run it 24-7. The idea that he had an assassination group that was outside the lines of other, you know, factions within the mutant verse and all mm-hmm. that stuff that he was off doing his own thing and they were trying to keep it covert and they don't want anybody to know about it. Uh, just a really interesting examination of his character. Like my favorite Wolverine story to date is Weapon X, mm-hmm. like the original Weapon X when he's you know, mm-hmm. all down in the thing, all attached to the giant TV on his face and wires yeah. and super violent piles of people. I, that book was amazing. Mm-hmm. Just amazing. Uh, so this was really cool to explore more of that and who he is and what he means to these people and things. So, I mean, overall, it's so hard to talk about it without spoilers, but overall the story was just the dynamic nature of it the romances that were there 
were really touching and really nice. The sacrifice that was there. Every time somebody sacrificed themselves, like we talk about death being pointless in comics. Every time that somebody laid themselves on the line and paid for it dearly throughout the series, whether they came back to life or not, it was a huge moment. Mm. It was a huge moment with a lot of reward. And even even the the resurrection of certain characters throughout the series, once they had, you know, met their demise, was also very rewarding. So it's really just, you know, it's how you write it and how you make it matter. Yeah. You know, they're undercutting, you know, a lot of character deaths in in the last uh, couple years. And this was a really great example of how you can kill off characters and have it be really impactful to the story. Maybe it doesn't reach out to the entire universe, all of comicdom, but for that story, it it pains you. Yeah. You know? Uh, so really enjoyed it. About the only thing, the only part that it dropped off for me was around volume number five, uh, where the crew went to the other world, uh, dealing with, uh, what's her face? Psylocke. Psylocke. Yeah, yeah, Psylocke and, and Captain Britain and going to see her family. I really liked the the family-oriented stuff. The end of that arc had a, a payoff that was worth having gone through it, but the artwork for me just was not working at all. You had all this beautiful, beautiful stuff from Jerome Pena and Phil Noto and Mike McCone, and it was just so visceral and engaging. And then you had, you know, Greg uh, Tocini's artwork just that didn't, always work for me it wasn't all bad but there were some panels that i just they did not look good faces mm-hmm. were looked kind of strange stuff looked unfinished and just sent in just to get it done um i know that you have to have fill-in artists and and maybe that was the vision mm-hmm. for all i know i don't know yeah but um just that part of the story i loved the other stuff how close-knit everybody was in those other arcs and other stories that when they went off to go and do this thing to kind of take a break in the middle, it really slowed the pace for me. And it was hard to get through those issues. And I know that it was hard because as soon as I was done and I picked up volume six, it was bang, like the gun went off and we were right back Hmm. into being at breakneck speed. That was another thing. This will be my last thought on the series it never stops. No. <laughs> like from the very beginning, by the th- by the time you finish the first trade and you move on to the next, it does not stop. It keeps going. There's always something dire going on and it's exciting. It's mm. not exhausting. It's really like high octane comic book stuff. That part of the story kind of slowed it to a crawl, but I, you know, just to not dissuade you from reading it, as soon as that part's over, you are right back into, you know, fifth gear flying down the mountain yeah. with your arms up. Like, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. That, uh, the final, um, the final Archangel issue. So good. Is one of the best issues I've, I've ever read yeah. of, of a book ever. It's so amazing. That whole arc is amazing. Um, yeah, like you're saying about the deaths, it's not even so much about the death, it's, it, deaths themselves, it's about the personal loss that happens because of those deaths and those are things that don't get erased you know what happens with you know warren which is is pretty much is 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 right now status quo in in the comic book universe right now he is this character doesn't remember where he came from Mm -hmm. this is where that that story births itself is in this uncanny x-force run right and it's it's gut-wrenching because you see this character go from being this amazing like stand-up you know, role model to the character becomes by the end of that story, which is, it's insane. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, all of the uh, the, the that last moment of the first volume when you, you and it's such a great pull because you think like it's okay, it's over, like it's over. The one character who would have done this horrible thing is not going to do it, so it's over. Mm-hmm. And then when that thing happens, it's like my 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 jaw was on the floor when yeah. when when, mm-hmm. the, when the part happens because um, <clears throat> it comes in place you somebody you wouldn't expect from reading that reading that first volume yeah. and then. Really, you deal with that that fallout from there on in, and then I'm excited now because you're saying you're you're gonna go back and reread Uncanny Avengers, and once you get past the first arc of Uncanny Avengers, it yeah. basically becomes a sequel to Uncanny X Force. Well, I'm excited for that because the thing that I noticed about this and about you know Rick Remender's Uncanny X Force was that's lacking from other things that I've read X Men wise, and I don't get me wrong, I've loved a couple of other things as well. But there was a passion mm. in this. There was a there was a clear vision and a direction and a mood, and he knew the the atmosphere that he wanted to create. And we never it we never left it. Mm. We got introduced to all kinds of really cool characters, and and even he even stuck the landing yeah. at the end. The end is because that's always the thing, you know. Like you enjoyed this huge seven volume. I'm sorry, I don't know the amount of mm. issues, but seven volumes worth of something of trade paperbacks, and you get to that, you know, that last issue, and you're like, "Oh, come on, mm. come on!" I know this is the mm. end, and like at this point, you're kind of reading fast because you know yeah. you're you know you're towards the end, and you're kind of like blowing through it. And I said, "No," I'm like, "Stop! Just take time and just slowly read it." And I read it, and I'm like, and like you said earlier mm. off air, I was like, "Wow." You know, for as as cutthroat and dire and and oftentimes sad and depressing and heartfelt that this was, I think everything's gonna be all right. Yeah, you got like a big smile on your face. Yeah, when it's it was, over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's kind of like you know, I put it down like la la la. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. They, he does it like that. But it, it but well, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not like it fits. Yeah, not you know tying everything off with a bow. Mm-hmm. Everything's gonna be fine. Yeah. It was kind of like, wow. So in the end, that equal to that and that means this and it also explains phantom x mm-hmm. in the new stuff and yeah. why there's three of them yeah yeah which was really interesting i'm like oh yeah that's how that happened okay yeah. which is why if you read this and then you try to read that uncanny x-force it's very disappointing because yeah. the psylocke character like everything they do because in, in uncanny x-force like you said all the characters have a journey and psylocke goes yeah. on a crazy journey from beginning to end of that book yeah and when you get to the end of the book, you you love her character so much in in that book, to to make her that angry like w- over angry person in in that new Uncanny X Force was a very weird shift. But yeah, the Phantom yeah. X thing is great. I love Phantom X because he's so freaking crazy. The idea of him and what he is is so insane. I didn't get that. Yeah, I didn't. I really didn't. I found him to be a lot more. I mean, he was he was deceptive, but yeah. that's that's the nature of his. No, I mean the 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 the, the idea behind his behind his character. Like how he works, like the, the split, the split consciousnesses, and yeah. like you know what, what he is and where he comes from. Not how he acts, because he acts. He's like a roguish type type of character. He's very cool, but the, his like origin and stuff like that is so weird. Yeah, that I was like, I was like, who comes up with this stuff? He's created by Grant Morrison. Like I think, uh, I, yeah, I think all of that stuff is go. really interesting. Yeah. I don't know that it was the best story to display the three differences. Yeah, like I, I, I didn't notice like a marked difference mm-hmm. when he was slipping in between. Like when that happened, I, I thought, oh, that starts now. Right. Even though that that's mm-hmm. not the case. Cause they always, they talked about it and they right. talked about the damp- dampening plates in his mm-hmm. mask and yeah. how it keeps everything at bay. And yeah. I felt like what had happened, happened in this story was the plates kind of caged mm-hmm. the other two. And I'm dealing with, 
you know, this Phantom X. Right. There's two of them. I still know because I know some stuff from comics that there right. exists other things in his head, but maybe this is a story where just this one personality, mm-hmm. like I'm still waiting for Moon Knight to, to show his different stuff right. going on. Yeah. You know, so, but that's a whole other right. kettle of fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but overall, loved it. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed. I know everybody goes to the Joss Whedon run for mm-hmm. their X Men stuff, and that has its place and it's wonderful. But I was, I was really blown away by this art wise. Just beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful stuff. There were panels in there that I wish I could have just taken right off the page, threw it in some glass, and put it up on my wall. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's a must read. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's my really long book of the week. Segment. Yeah. So uh, Uncanny X Force and Nailbiter Number One. Mm-hmm. All right. So on to me. I'm going to talk about talk about a Marvel event in my lightning round. I'm going to talk about a DC event here in, in my books of the week. And I, I want to talk about it. Wasn't my they were my favorite books of the week because there is a zero issue that came out for Free Comic Book Day and the Number One, which tie in very closely to, to one another. Um, but I thought they were a very interesting read. And so I thought we could talk about it. Was funny because we often talk about Rob on the show, and Rob was giving the books. He was like, "These were horrible." That's basically what he said to me when he gave them to me. <laughs> wow, I think I've ever heard him say yeah. that. Before. And so I was like, "Okay," and I was like, "Oh, I'm a little nervous to read them, but also a little excited." Oh man! And so I, re- I read the zero issue um, and the number one, and I came away with it thinking one very clear thought. I thought this is pretty cool. Like I enjoy some of the ideas here. I wish it was not part of regular continuity, so it didn't have to have like hooks and connections to everything else. And it's a weekly. It's a feature done as a weekly. And what I'll say from it, above the Batman Eternal stuff, which I've been liking Batman Eternal, but Future's End, I, after reading two issues, I guess, issue and a half, I don't understand how they can keep up the pace that they're going for for a whole year and 52 issues. Because this crazy amount of stuff happens in these first two issues. Yeah. Like, an in, in infinite number more than what happens in, in Batman Eternal. Um, and that could be for good or ill because you have to sustain a story for a very long mm-hmm. time. Now, there's a huge amount of people on these books just like on um, Batman Eternal. It, Brian Azzarello, Keith Giffen, Dan Jurgens, Jeff Lemire, and Patrick Zercher is the artist uh, for the books. So it's a good team of people uh, behind the book. And the basic gist of it is, uh, and as Bob, I think, mentioned last week too, uh, sort of Age of Ultron-ish. We're, we're, we're mm-hmm. in the future. There's been like kind of like a robot apocalypse. Uh, brother, uh, brother I uh, has kind of taken over the world and turned a lot of people into cyborgs and is controlling it and really kind of taking over the world just like Ultron would do. And in a last-ditch effort, Batman plans to go back in time and stop everything from happening because that's what Batman would do. Um, but in the last, in the moments, he... he uh, it, he, the bat kid gets overtaken and he sends back instead Terry McGinnis, Batman Beyond back. So one of the things it does is it, it cements Terry McGinnis as being in DC regular continuity, mm-hmm. which I, that is pretty cool that Batman Beyond is now part of DC continuity, mm-hmm. sends it back in time to, to a date to stop um, Mr. Terrific and Bruce Wayne from creating uh, the satellite brother eye, which then obviously takes over the world. It's, it's been a story they've used before. Obviously they yeah, used Identity it. Crisis? Identity Crisis. Yeah. They also used it, yeah, right before, yeah, because that was around the Rucka time mm-hmm. with the, the Maxwell Lord stuff and all the other stuff. Um, so, uh, it's been a while. <laughs> so basically, like that's what happens. So you get sent back in time and we, the whole zero issue deals really with the future stuff and then um, it, it start, you know, it, it, it 
it ends off with Terry McGinnis getting sent back, and issue one starts off with Terry McGinnis in the past, and then kind of dealing with everything that's going on. Um, and what we get here is a bunch of, of characters, and what I like about this book is that it it picks up on characters that are not heavily used in other books who once had their own books that are now been canceled. Uh, uh, Grifter is one of those characters. Firestorm is one of those characters. And we get kind of character bits with them, like vignettes of what's going on in their lives and what they're dealing with to kind of catch you up on who they are. And you know, they catch you up on what Firestorm is, that he's two people in one, and they're often kind of battling with each other and they don't really like each other kind of situation, which is the, the deal here. And then um, Grifter, who had been abducted by these alien creatures and now can uh, but escaped and now can see them when no one else can see them kind of hiding in human bodies. And so he kind of goes around and takes out these aliens masquerading as humans. Um, we get to see those points and we get to see them kind of start to converge where there's a distress call for people to come help, help out green arrow. And you know, the, the, the one half of firestorm is not really, not really feeling it. He doesn't want to be firestorm. So he's not going. The guy comes and says like, come on, we're a hero. We got to do this. They go. Some st- big stuff has gone down at the end of this book. Uh, and we're also dealing with what, what Terry has been sent back too late. He's not back early enough to stop them from creating it, so he's got to figure out another way to get around the situation. Um, like I said, fun story, cool story. I liked what was going on. The art by Patrick Zercher, really, really nice. I'm a little bit upset that it's a weekly book because I, I, I the, the thought of having to buy it every week on my wallet is, yeah. is sad. Um, How much is it? It's two ninety nine. Mm. Uh, I yeah, but now we're getting Batman Eternal and Future's End. Yeah. At two ninety nine, so yeah. we're now six dollars a week. Yeah, just for two books. Just for two books. It's it's a little bit rough. Times four. Times four. Yeah. So Each month. Yeah. Yeah. yeah twenty four bucks a week. Twenty four bucks a month uh, on these weekly books. But that being said, like I said, it's a it's a good story. I wish. Now look, I don't know how much it's going to intersect with DC continuity. I don't know how much you're going to have to know what's going on. I hope that much like Batman Eternal, it just stays kind of on its own, and we're not dealing with, you know see the next part of future's end also in, you know, green arrow number 27 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I hope that doesn't happen because I like the idea here, but sometimes with these stories, I just kind of wish they were condensed, you know, 12 issue mini series mm. that told their story and, and, and went on because I worry that in 52 issues, it's going to lose the steam that it's got going on. 52 mm. issues is a lot of issues. Yeah. I, I've read it too. And like you, you mentioned with the, the pace that it's mm-hmm. going, it's moving very fast, and there are things that are happening that they can't take back 52 issues later. Right. <laughs> you know? And I am wondering how it's going to leak out to the rest of the universe, because if it's called Future's End and characters are dying, are they dying in their books as well? And that's going to be the story, and mm. we're going to have to find out how they make it back? Yeah. Well, there are tie-ins that are what five years out is how this yeah works. when this rap when in september or their their yeah. weekly thing there's going to be stuff so i think that this and this is another thing again it's a good book and i like what it's doing and i like playing with the timelines but i think i, I and what i'm getting from it is it starts in the future and it comes back to the past but it's still the future for current dc continuity i think that's how they're getting around any of it affecting the books that you're reading right now. Mm-hmm. Because when we see Green Arrow in this book, he's got a beard, he's got long hair, and that's not what Green Arrow looks like in continuity right now. So I think that that's what they're dealing with. I think that this is technically maybe five years after what's going on right now in regular DC continuity because in regular DC continuity, obviously 
Bruce Wayne hasn't invented the satellite, blah, 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 mm. whatever. Um, there is also a really good sh- scene with um, Stormwatch that I thought was very, very cool mm. as well. Um, but Steve, so you, you, you enjoyed it though? I, I, I did. Mm. I was very, here's my thing with it. I was very reluctant to pick it up at all because um, I'm pissed. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still pissed off uh, at this whole forever evil thing. <laughs> I was kind of bitching about it a little bit earlier on Twitter. <laughs> we still don't have our final issue. Yeah, next week. Yeah, well, great. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> Fucking thanks a lot. Yeah. Awesome. About time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know things get screwed up, and I know that, you know, things happen and such. That shit's been a while, and I'm already reading aftermath stories for an ending partially that was already spoiled for everyone, mm-hmm. just not handled well right. at all. Mm-hmm. It should have been a priority to get that book out or don't solicit these stories. It's seven issues. Don't solicit this stuff until it's ready. Mm. When it's ready, then you put it out and you roll them out one after the other, done. Mm. I'm fatigued from that and I'm pissed because I really, really enjoy Forever Evil and I'm sure that I'll enjoy the seventh issue when it comes out. And that's awesome. But the my excitement for it and the the pacing upon which it came out has really marred my enjoyment of the experience overall. I'm afraid to start another huge event with them, only to be let down by scheduling or whatnot. I mean, I know it's out of my it's out of everybody's control, <laughs> right? Yeah. But holy shit! Like I just I. I I'm nervous. Right, yeah. I mean, with this, I think they have so many creators working on it that I think it's going to come out weekly. They've committed yeah. to weekly, and they're not going to start delaying those because then it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a domino of <laughs> what's going to happen. The Forever Evil thing, my thing is, like, I think that the, the difference is it's either it comes out with a different artist mm-hmm. or it comes out as late as it's going to come out with when it takes David Finch to finish it. You know, I, I think that the reason that doesn't happen with Marvel is you see that, right? There are issues with Marvel where there's six artists and DC, DC does it with the regular monthly books, but Marvel tends to do it a lot with those event books. You see, like, the end of Infinity is, like, four different artists, or mm-hmm. it's a different artist than was doing the previous issues because they want to get it out on time. They put a premium on, on shipping on time. Mm-hmm. My, my, my guess is that Jeff Johns is like, you're not putting this book out until it's ready to go, until this, and the art is done. I'm not having f- three artists on the last issue of Forever Evil. It's just not going to happen. Crazy. And I understand, like, it frustrates me, too. Like, I want to, I, especially because I liked it so much, I yeah, want to have finished reading it. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. And it is weird to not have finished that event and now be dealing with a whole other set of, of things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, and I'm also afraid of the weekly aspect of oh, it. Oh, yeah, me too. You know, I'm, I'm picking up Batman Eternal. I'm reading it. I'm liking it. So they've got me for at least another couple of issues or until I feel the fatigue or, or get bored or whatever. But that doesn't show so far any signs of degradation. So I'm on board. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Yeah. And now we have this thing that, we're going to kind of want to be in on it. Mm-hmm. So we don't get books from DC. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, old man wallet, open up that <laughs> mouth and cough up the bucks. Right. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I hope that it remains as exciting as it is. Cause so far it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, th- I think it is cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's like I said earlier, I love knowing who everybody is yeah. <laughs> like hey, guy. I love the, the beginning like the old flash. Like yeah. the big beard and stuff like that. That was cool. But if you're like and Bob, we we talked about this a little bit. I think uh, I don't know if we talked about it off air. Or we talked about it after the show, or whatever it was. But if you read Forever Evil, num- uh, Forever um, 
Future's End number one. You're like, where did all this stuff come from? You have to read the Zero issue, uh, yeah. the free comic book issue. I think they're giving it away for free on Comixology. Um, so Total, I think you check it out there. Totally necessary. Totally necessary. And, and the stores are able to reorder it, at least for now. Okay. So yeah. How long that's going to last. But make sure if you're going to start with this, ask your store to get you a copy of the Zero because you'll be lost. Yeah, absolutely. It's You know what? It's the same, it's the same thing happens every time with DC. I start the event and I'm like, eh. I don't know. And then by the end of the issue, I'm like, mm, all right, all right. That's kind of, and then I read number one. And I'm like, yeah, I'm interested. You got me. I just love the not. Um, it's so weird. The, the weirdness and the not uh, the not normal and not usual well-tread characters. You know, it's not Batman. It's not Superman. It's not Wonder Woman. It's it's Grifter and it's right. Firestorm. And, and it's something like that. I like I like those characters because there's more room to play around, and it's like my book of the week as well. My main book of the week. It's the same sort of situation. Weird, uh, weird team ups too. Yeah, like, like villains working with heroes. Yeah, it, which I like that. Stuff. Yeah, just like the original Sin thing, like Punisher and and Doctor Strange. Like that's like a yeah. crazy combination of people. So it's cool to see it. So I, I hope that it keeps up. Like I said, though, like I said, the pace is crazy. So I hope that they can keep it up going on. But uh, my absolute book of the week and uh, a book that I, when I finished reading it, I had a giant smile on my face. Uh, Cyclops, number one, by uh, Greg Rucka. Yep. Art by Russell Dowderman, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, uh, and uh, colors, I don't know. I gotta say, find his first name. Uh, Russell Dowderman and Chris Sotomayor, uh, uh, space colorist, as it says <laughs> in, the, in the back. Uh, so... If you guys haven't been reading all new X-Men, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, but you might not have read the book, which I'm sure you know that young Cyclops, back from the original X-Men, has come has, is in, in the present Marvel Universe, and recently we dealt with the trial of Jean Grey, uh, where the Shi'ar kidnapped Jean Grey and put her on trial for crimes that her older self committed as Phoenix, and in that process, um, Cyclops' father, um, Caliban, I think that's his name? Corsair. Corsair. Corsair, that's his name, uh, shows up to kind of assist, and Cyclops decides to go with his father and the Starjammers, which are the, right are the mm-hmm. name of the, the, yep. the space pirates that he belongs to, um, goes off with them on kind of space adventures to learn who he is and meet his father because he thinks his, he thought his father was dead. So, you know, obviously we, we've talked to Greg Greco a few times. We talk about a lot of his books. One of my favorite writers in comics, and here he, it, it doesn't let me down at all. I mean, we start with. Cyclops with the Star Jammers kind of becoming part of the crew and doing their thing together and getting to meet this kind of bizarre cast of characters was wonderful in itself. Um, starting to develop who, uh, you know, the, the, who his father is, who Corsair is, who, who he's been, who Cyclops is, what he wants, what, what his struggles are. All of this stuff was really, really cool. And I thought, okay, he's going to go on space adventures with this group of people, and that'll be pretty cool. He's going to struggle to find his place, blah, blah, whatever, with this Han Solo type of father that he has. But the way that it, it shakes out, which is that kind of decides to go on, they go on solo, to go on solo adventures together so he can get to know who his son is and his son gets to know who he is, was a really wonderful touch. There's really, really funny stuff that happens here. There's really touching stuff that happens here. There's some good action. The art is, you know really vibrant and beautiful and, and and fun and you know it, it's at times extremely you know it, it's cartoony but it's also it's got a it's got a nice I know a nice style to it where it doesn't feel um it doesn't feel I don't know uh insubstantial it feels like it has mm-hmm. you know substance to it it it's just a lot of stuff going on that that's just kind of wonderful it has a little bit of like that it's a little like an unsmushed 
uh, Frank quietly at times, sometimes with okay. like the faces and stuff like that. Uh, but it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And, um, y- you know, th- th- this last, this last little bit of the book, which, you know, it, it, there's no spoilers here. It's a first issue and nothing really major happens, but there's this line between Cyclops and his father. And he says, I have no idea how to, how to be a dad to a 16 year old son. I'm allowed to pooch this thing big time. And Cyclops says, that's okay. I'm pretty sure I stink at being 16. And Corsair says, Hey Scott, tell you a secret. Everyone stinks at being 16. And then they, yeah, great they light speed off into, into, into their adventures together. They've gone to plaid. Yeah. <laughs> um, Steve, did you read it? I did. What'd you think? I am, I am a sucker uh, <laughs> for a father-son story. I love them. They, they have a way of weaving into my heart and uh, settling down pretty hard. I really enjoyed it. It kind of reminded me a little bit of a, like if Don Bluth, was given <laughs> Cyclops and did kind of a Titan AE meets Marvel <laughs> kind of deal. I really enjoyed the stuff with his his now stepmother. Yeah. And, you know, Scott's kind of like checking her out a little yeah. bit. She's this like alien cat woman. <laughs> but she, oh, he, uh, Corsair marries uh, yeah. Hexaba? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. But she's, she's like that stepmom that you want she's super cool yeah. she's pretty the whole thing but i love i love the awkwardness of him not mm. knowing how to feel about it she gives him a hug and he's like oh um but yeah i i the artwork is is a lot of fun and i'm glad it's gonna be six issues no i think it's ongoing oh is it yeah oh i thought it was uh no it's ongoing I am doubly excited then. <laughs> uh, I love Greg Rucka as a writer. Ever since reading his Punisher run, that opened up my eyes to what he's capable of doing. Uh, I've read a couple of other things of his here and there. They're escaping me at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. I saw your your tweets about it before mm. I'd read it, and it, it made me excited to sit down. And really, I just, you know, I lost my father years ago, so something like this uh, kind of like how Jeff Lemire does that that whole getting to a, a piece of you that's very personal. Uh, this could end up being a very personal story for me just because of my, you know, my my history and stuff like that. And I love that about it. Mm-hmm. And it's aside from that, aside from personal things aside, it is just straight up a well-written, very fun and colorful book. And I love the idea of the the space adventures Mm -hmm. of just fun of running into mysteries and solving things throughout the universe. It's a great platform for great stories. And it's already got so many characters in it that I've never seen before and Mm -hmm. aliens and, you know, just a cast of, of new people to get to know. So that's awesome. Yeah. uh, The, the giant like fish lizard man. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They go way back in X-Men history. Dave Cockrum, created them, I think, as standalone characters that he was going to give to DC and it didn't work out well and brought them over to mm-hmm. Claremont for the X-Men. It's 104 <laughs> to 8, somewhere in there. Actually, John Byrne does the last one. It's the, it's the one they did for the cartoon. It's, it's the Macron yeah. Crystal mm-hmm. deal. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's another series that's going cosmic. Yeah. So, you you know, you're, you're going to all these places. They can just, let's say they go to six planets and six issues. You could create six whole new planets if you want mm. to, or you can stay on one mm. that's just rich with, you know, brand new species if yeah. you want, or visit planets that haven't existed in the in the continuity of Marvel for decades. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're, you know, I don't know, from one of, like, Bob's vault, 
They're going to, you know, I don't, I don't know the hell, Planet X256. Why are the broccoli people? There you go. You can go visit the broccoli people with uh, Cyclops and his dad. Yeah. Fry him up with his uh, laser vision, and, you know, throw a little bit of oil and uh, yeah. garlic and garlic, garlic yeah. and bacon. Yeah, and, yeah, put a little sea salt on there. Oh, man, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> hungry, yeah. Eat the broccoli people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I love the, the swashbuckling nature of the father. I love that Han Solo nature. I love that yeah. part where they, they take on the Badoon and they go into the ship. And that what he, that kind of thing he says to them when he comes in, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Corsair, you know, yeah. pirate, leader, head of the Star Jammers and lover extraordinaire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's cool about that is that that's going to be a character. I can already, I can already tell that when they start to get into some of the deeper aspects of his character, that he's supposed to be this dashing, mm. you know, swashbuckling intergalactic space pirate guy. But there's probably a lot of insecurities that tie into what's gone on between him and his son and being absent for so long that you're yeah. going to get a lot of really quality emotional moments out of it as well. Yeah. yeah I'm not saying anything about some of those things. I'm being very <laughs> quiet because I'm, yeah. I'm sure he, knowing what Greg Rucker right. does, he loves the history of characters. You're going to get to see it from his perspective. Yeah, yeah. But they're back in the old days where there were, Ooh. yeah, there's stuff. But Baba, if you didn't read it, I, I I would I would suggest that you do. Uh, well, I didn't know was it going to be. I hate to say it this way, the real Cyclops mm-hmm. and not the dopey one that's Dower. running around now. Yeah, yeah. so I no, will have to take a shot. Very, at this. He's very yeah. It, it, he definitely gets the core of that character very very well, and I'll say that definitely. Like he takes full advantage of the fact that because in the Bendis stuff, what's happening is they're con- they've been constantly stuck in a struggle, right? They've been constantly moved around. You've had no real time to just focus down on on his character. So here, Cyclops really illuminates i mean cyclops rucka really illuminates cyclops's um youth here i mean he feels like a kid here and he feels like someone unburdened by all of that a uh, crap that has happened to him since he was that age and he still has the issues i mean he's still he's still you know kind of messed up from being thrown into the future and dealing with the fact that he found out that he married he married the love of his life and then lost her and you know he doesn't, doesn't know if they'll ever be together all all of this stuff so all that stuff is still there and he still he doesn't let that stuff go but here you know he's 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 smiling he 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 wants to do great things he he wants to be the best at what he's doing what I love here though is he's just try, he wants to impress his father you know he wants his father to be impressed by him he wants him to spend time with him and I love that human aspect of the character, and Rucka gets to that really, really great. And I think he'll be able to shepherding them off into the into space, away from all of the main events of the universe. Mm-hmm. I think is the perfect place for them. So that's Cyclops number one, and uh, Future's End number zero and number one for my books of the week. We're gonna take a little break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about the movement. We're gonna say goodbye to the movement, and we're going to read some uh, listener responses to series they wish had gone on just a little bit longer. Huzzah. Right, we are back, and as we promised beforehand, we're going to be saying goodbye uh, to the movement here. It's a book that has been a very, a very constant fixture here at Talking Comics. We've been talking about it since issue one, uh, basically every month for the past year that it's come out. It's been a one of our favorite books several of those months, and we've known it was coming down for a while, but the, the final issue is finally here. 
And Bob, I want you to just start out because you wrote a very, very nice piece on the site. Oh, you can check you. that out, talkingcompbooks.com. Um, Bob wrote a very nice look back at, at, at the movement, um, an appreciation uh, of the series. And so, I mean, we've talked about it, but for people who maybe, you know, we haven't talked about it, we didn't talk about it last month because we were waiting for this. And maybe people, some of our new listeners, what is it about the movement that you responded to so much, Bob? Well, in an era where it's all about the big cosmic things, we were just talking about events across the board at both companies. This was about people who can't really take care of themselves. It's an area of Coral City called the Tweens, where they're ignored by the police, the authorities, and this group of superpowered young people have decided the only way to take care of things is to do it themselves. They disagree about how to do that. There are internal struggles on how and how you use your powers and for who and where and what's appropriate what use of force. And in the middle of all this superhero-y stuff, which is sad because the book was put out there and promoted as some sort of political thing, mm-hmm. where it was really a book about a family forming. And you could watch it happen in front of your eyes. The emotional content of this book was off the charts. And that was month to month. And sometimes between characters you wouldn't expect, including some of the people you looked at as villains as the series began. And I'm not going to spoil that because I know there's some people going to be buying this now mm, right. in lumps in trades. Because there are some reversals of fortune for some of these characters. And it started in such a a creepy place where you had the members of Channel M who were using their cameras Mm -hmm. and taking pictures of the corruption as it was happening as two policemen were rousting a lady of the evening, is the old-fashioned phrase. (laughs) And, you know, we're watching. Mm. I'm liking this sort of big brother, but for our purposes this time, that we can do something here. And there was a real sense of empowerment in a lot of ways, beyond the extremely varied cast. And and as I wrote in the article, that never seemed forced. These are people who sort of would get together. They really are the outcasts. Mm. And they find their way together. And that struck me as well. We we always talk about inclusion. This is the most inclusive book (laughs) that's come out ever, probably. (laughs) But again, not in a way that seemed as if Oh, where? Who should we put in? No, they mm. they just are, and they were all great, greatly formed characters. They all had agency, they had quirks. They were all different, and just a book that you could get behind. That it was humor, it was action. There was horror, drama, super heroics, and all mixed up together. Too many books, even the ones we all like, tend to fall into a, a range. And this is dark because it's a gritty underbelly of a city, but the hopefulness that these characters exhibited month after month that somehow force of will, force of good intentions, we can make things better here. Mm. It's just very different. Mm. And it really appealed to me in a way. I'm old-fashioned heroic guy. Mm. I, you know, I, you want to see the speech. There were speeches here. Hmm. There's one in this issue that is just absolutely charming as, as yeah. Holly Virtue hmm. explains what is Steve has the page open, yeah. what it is. And to see these uh, on that, that panel, particularly, I, I put it in the article, heroes smiling and flying through the air and their inspirations behind. It's Green Lantern and Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. It's That's who we could be. We you know, mm-hmm. ah, just love this book. I could uh, go on for it. Steve, how about you? <laughs> well, you already put it so nicely. 
Okay. Uh, the movement has been a joy to read. I've been loving it from issue one on. And actually, when I first started, it took me a little while to not because I didn't want to read it, but to, to actually get to it. And once I did, I was really, really uh, touched by the variety of character that this book has. I mean, you have characters with gender preferences and social preferences from all over the map. And like Bob had said, it's just who they are. Uh, you know, we run into a couple of situations where sometimes having, you know, gay or lesbian characters within a story can seem like a gimmick. And we, you know, we were talking about that or, you know, race changes with characters and stuff like that. And is it to sell books? And in, in this case, it was not like that was, I never got that impression whatsoever. This was about making an, a team of characters that are street level that were, could just be like, you know, me or you or whoever. And they weren't the Batmans and they weren't the Supermans or the Green Lanterns. Maybe they aspired to be, but they weren't there yet. And I like the idea of them dealing with local problems and looking to take care of their home and their turf, but still having these aspirations to say, if we could stay together, if we can keep doing our thing, our influence and our reach could, you know, grow ever more in time. And unfortunately, we didn't get a whole lot of time. We got 12 Mm -hmm. issues with the characters. But I mean, a great way to to cap everything off it felt like simultaneously being you know the final issue of a of a really solid arc like a 12 issue arc and the end of the entire series i really want to see some of these characters show up um i'm sure we might talk about that in a bit Mm -hmm. where we think they might end up but um yeah i mean just the uniqueness the idea that when this was uh solicited nobody really knew what it was about the promotions for it perhaps weren't the best the the artwork didn't really tell you anything what it Mm -hmm. was about and so i wasn't particularly excited for it i was excited for for it because gail simone was attached to it and that was somebody that i was getting to know as a writer that i appreciated and was like oh what's she gonna do with this you know something original something gritty and it wound up being 12 issues of a really really enjoyable team now like when you're talking about the mighty avengers and Marvel and stuff like mm-hmm. that, like those street level, low level teams that don't get, you know, the spotlight. And these, this is a, a team comprised of like, well, like D F list characters. I don't know if they even oh, make the list no, because no, <laughs> all of them are new, you know, catharsis had been in a couple of Batgirl issues, I believe mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. back in the old days. And these are all new creations. Otherwise yeah. though, vengeance moth is apparently, I just found out the niece of killer moth. Nice. Hmm. Who was Batgirl's first villain back in Detective oh, wow. Comics. Ooh, look at that. So yeah, I really wish that we were going to get more time with them. I have a feeling this isn't going to be the last that we'll see of them. Mm. I'm really um, hoping that... I sure hope so. The, my one caveat to that is we just did the sales numbers and didn't get mm. to this. This came in at number 284 mm. and was selling 5,700 copies to those of us who new enough to, to keep picking this book mm. up. Well, unfortunately, this is probably going to become one of those, you know, trades that in six months when DC decides to finally put mm-hmm. it on the shelves, people will gravitate towards it and hopefully read it and enjoy it. And maybe there'll be an outcry for more. Yeah. Well, what, what I want to hope for is, from my standpoint, as someone who's followed Gail Simone for a long time in her writing, is that that trade sells enough that they decide to do maybe a limited and have her do it. I'd hate to have these characters scattered mm. 
to be on just various superhero teams, and they'll be right. fun to read them again. But I'd like to see them intact. Mm, right. I mean, we talked about right the the marketing for it and what it was it was kind of pitched as and what we we were sold on it as and how it was totally different. And you're right, Bob. There's a these couple of pages here in this 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 number twelve issue where we see them kind of fighting alongside the 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 big heroes mm-hmm. of the DC universe, um, and, and and you know being these kind of global big time heroes, and th- this this description of what they're about is, is something that's really kind of wonderful. And she said, uh, "I thought we might be part of something better, where people cared about each other, where compassion wasn't seen as weakness." where those in power helped people without judgment. I thought maybe we could remind people, you know, that it's okay to care, which I thought was, awesome. was really great. And, you know, look, I mean, if this had been the way the book was pitched to people, would it have probably would have sold better than pitched as a political book? I have no idea, because I don't know if this pitch for people just looking and in it, helps any more than the political mm-hmm. pitch, you know? At least that was their kind of aim to grab people who were will only maybe pick up books because of cultural relevance or something like that. So maybe this wouldn't have worked either, but maybe the honesty of it would have would have garnered a different audience that might have you might have gotten a more passionate audience out of the gate, which could have at least kept it around a little bit longer, possibly. But like we said a couple times here, we have twelve issues of a book that are all great that are put together that tell. She got to tell one complete story, one adventure, if you want to put it that way, of of the movement. Which it's uh, adventure is a very light word for what happens to them mm, yeah. in, in this in this in this story. But we got to know a group of characters very very well. We got to really care about a bunch of characters very very uh, a lot. And we were introduced to people. Who I think whether or not they're together, and I agree with you, Bob. I'd like to see them together. But if these characters start popping up in other books. They're rich characters to to add into the DC universe, which I think is is pretty awesome. Absolutely. Um, and you know, it, it was funny because th- I think this issue was very good, and, and I think the th- uh, for me the themes of the issue are are more interesting than the events of the issue because what we wrap up with in the end here, like the 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 story that we wrap up here, um, was never my like I think my biggest focus when I read the book because mm-hmm. I was so focused on the characters. But they do she closes off the loops that are that were kind of existing. Yeah, from issue one. From All issue the way one, back, our first look at what was happening was right there. Yeah. Yes, so I like that. This is one of the times a book like this is one of the times where I sorely miss DC books not having lettered columns in, in the back. Because I, it, it's the perfect opportunity for Gail to get to write a little a little piece, you know, and then we get to see some some reactions of people to, to to the book. Because one of my favorite things about image books or Marvel books, especially, uh, is reading the responses and, and the things people send in to those things. And I feel like the movement was the perfect book for that kind of response. And I think we see it when we went to cons and stuff like that. We would see the, the those responses, but. We didn't get to see that response as readers reading the book, kind of get to share that sense of community that I think is is missing here. But, you know, really great stuff, a really great team book and, and full of new characters and ver- and or very, very little known characters. So she got to do whatever she wanted, and I thought that that was really great. Yeah. Now, yeah. And across the board, issue to issue, and not every one of these short sort of series, you always find one, oh, not, not so great. It did build a little slowly as we introduced character by character, and it's issue four where we begin. Here's this character's backstory, and that ends here. We actually you see virtues mm, yeah. for the first time, yes. and it is so touching mm-hmm. 
that now you're into, oh, I want to now reread everything else because now I know why she did the way she, yeah. things she did. Freddie Williams' art here was the perfect blend mm. of humorous but dark and actiony at the same time. Mm. I'd seen some of his work before and a few things of JSA, I think, years and mm. years ago. But really, nothing would have fit this as quite as well as his art did here. It would have been very easy to go very grim and gritty here. Mm-hmm. And there are moments where it is. There's some horrible things going on here. There, it's a bad part of town. Yeah. And yet, I never lost the sense of hope that these characters could figure it all out. Yeah. Good journey too for all those people. People we were talking about Kenny X Force about the journey the characters take, and there are certain characters, especially a burden in, in this series, yes. took a very big journey from where he starts to where we get to at the end. And and that was nice. You know, it, the one nice thing about finales of serialized storytelling is you get wrap-ups and absolution and payoffs that you don't get in the week-to-week, month-to-month kind of kind of ongoing tales in, in comics, TV, whatever. That's why some of these finales are so satisfying in TV because all these hanging story threads and all these people who you've been slowly seeing progress in their lives suddenly get thrown forward and you get to see the the fruits of the labor you've been through reading them. And this was definitely an, an issue like that. I mean, obviously focused, you know, kind of where, where we started with the, the leader of the team, which is nice to see her story. And very, t- you said it's very touching. It's also very, very sad. Yes. Incredibly sad. You, you find out, you know, why she has such a problem with the captain or why she did have such a problem with, with the captain of the police force. And, you know, you get to, s- you get to see the, the, the tragedy that shaped her into a hero. Because the things that happened to her when her kid definitely shape who she is now and doing what yeah. she's doing. Yeah, she had very little chance. Yeah, and yet found a way. Right, which is something I love about it too. Mm. Which is there's not there's not there's not excuses from them about it, it, they face reality. We live in a shitty place. No one cares about what we think, but we're not going to be part of the problem. We're going to be part of the solution. <laughs> and I think it's it's a good message to have in a book that just because you're a have not doesn't mean you can't do something to make the world better. And I love that that's what they do. And, and you know, look, they're not perfect. We've seen that throughout the series. Yeah. They make mistakes. They do things that are over the top. They, they go too far at times, just like everyone does in real life. But in the end, they're trying to do the right thing. And, and in the end, they make sure they do the right thing because they have a moral compass to get them through. So yeah, it, it, it was great. To, it was a great wrap up to the series, I think. Yeah, I as you say, it would have been nice. Uh, Gail had uh, on her uh, blog actually had a farewell some months ago mm. when they announced it, but it would have been so lovely to have it here, one mm. of those end pieces, as opposed to another volume of right. Channel 52 yeah, or, yeah. or some poster <laughs> for the new Superman. Mm-hmm. And she, she thanked certainly Dan DiDeo for mm. championing the book mm-hmm. and letting it run through. I mean... For all I gripe about DC, about yeah. so many things, this is a book they took a gamble on, and they let it play out. Yeah. And th- they let her finish, where it could have been very easy, considering the sales numbers, to have ended this six months ago and said, yeah, thanks, but we're, we're done. Yeah. No, let let this go. Yeah. And maybe maybe it, because the audience would have built, maybe not, mm-hmm. but she's stuck. they stuck with her, and you put this out, and her final comments where I have to save the corniest but truest thank you for the audience. I know this book wasn't for everyone, but a lot of you stuck with us and tried to spread the good word and you made every issue worthwhile. Because of you guys, it was worth all the hard work. Thank you so much for the reviews, fan art, fanfic, cosplay, and lovely comments. They warmed our hearts over and over again. 
This is the end of the book, but hopefully it won't be the end for the characters. Several of them have been popular with readers and creators, and maybe we will see them again. Mm. Bubba bum. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think characters from this could possibly show up in Batman Eternal down the road. Yeah, I was thinking that Ooh. same thing, yeah. It's a good place for them to, to pop up. Yeah. So a lot, obviously there's a lot of issues to write, so you get some yeah. characters to, to deal with. They fit into the Batman ground level universe mm-hmm. you know, very, very well. Yeah, I think that's a great place for them they to could, show up. They could, you know, Coral City, yeah. Gotham City, they could do a crossover mm-hmm. with that. And they need, you know, it could be a situation where maybe one of the characters needs help. It says, I have friends that I can call mm-hmm. and we get like, a, you know, four issues or so of the movement being back and working with Batman. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've they've connected with Gotham and through Batgirl. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sure they'll show up in Batgirl. Right, an uneasy relationship, but mm. they managed to work it out over yeah. donuts and milkshake. Right, and I'm, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm sure with Gail writing that book, if she continues to write that book, I I would figure that she, they would show up there yeah. as well. But I think a lot of it is respect for Gail. I think that's a lot of reason why the book keeps go kept going for twelve issues because. You know, we saw books like like Vibe and and, the, uh, and Katana, Katana, right? Yeah, Katana, yeah, Katana get canceled nearly immediately. So yeah, first issue on the stand, basically. Yeah, oh, we're gone. You, we're done. Yeah. You know, some books getting canceled after three issues, which is crazy. Um, and this book got to do its twelve and tell its story. And you know, we kept waiting for that axe to fall, mm. an axe to fall, an axe to fall, an axe to fall. And when it finally did, I feel like we were look. It was sad, but we we had thought it was going to come so much earlier yeah. that it was almost. It was almost a relief that we were going to get mm-hmm. to see it through to, to the end. Yeah, when they announced not only was it canceled, but it was still going to finish. It yeah. Was, uh, in a bad situation, that was the best ending. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, any other final words about the movement? Um, I liked it. <laughs> a lot. I want more. Yeah. I have one. If yes. there was a victim of the curse that I mourn the most, it's this one. Hmm. Oh, wow. That's pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty steep praise, Bob. <laughs> There's a lot of victims of the curse. <laughs> um, so we, I put on Twitter, I, you know, we put up, with Gail Simone's The Movement officially over, what are some other great series gone before their time? Uh, we had, um, this is Franklin Bennett, who's at Slade Wilson 72 on nice. Twitter, said, uh, cool. my favorite all-time comic series, the groundbreaking and very morally ambiguous Secret Six, which is another Gail Simone uh, joint. I have to read that. I really want to read it too. It's got yeah. so many characters I think are awesome. Um, Sadly, the trades are... Oh, it's hellishly expensive. That was my next question. Yeah. Uh, Deadshot and um, Bane. They're on Comixology, but they're $3 or $2 to $3 an issue. Yeah. Do you have them? They're no bundle. No. I don't even own it. I was going to say, I have an Amazon gift card at home. Well, there was a really funny thing with uh, today when they released the picture. One of the characters in The Secret Six is Catman. Mm-hmm. And when they released a picture of Batman today, uh, Gail Simone's like, it's Catman! And so she did, she had <laughs> she somebody mocked up, it. like recolored it so it looked like Catman. It was funny. Um, Annie, who's at Texas Annie on Twitter, says, The Thing by Dan Slott only ran about eight issues ten years ago, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, thing, Idol of Millions. All of a sudden <laughs> it comes into money. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> uh, Matthew E., which is Matthew L. Elmsley, Matthew Elmsley on Twitter says uh, Atari Force. Um, Interesting. James Hammond par- at Part Time Powers says uh, Green Wake by Curtis Weeb and Riley Rossimo jumps mm-hmm. to mind. Absolutely. Um, uh, <laughs> this is the great name, Gender Newt Troll on on Twitter. <laughs> That's great. Who's Sweet. at Mark underscore Argent says um, Kieran Gillen's Sword, uh, Bendis's Spider Woman. 
uh, Priests Zero, uh, The Crew, and Quantum and Woody were the ones that he, he brought up. All right. Um, David Fairbanks was at uh, Bear Fanks, said uh, Zombie and Crossing Midnight. Uh, Ivy Girl 851 says Secret Six and Gotham Central. Um, Gabriel, uh, Gab- I think it's Gabriel Canada, says uh, Virtually Anything Written by Paul Cornell. Um, Leighton Moore says Citizen V or, or Citizen oh. 5. I no, it was Citizen V. Citizen it was v. Uh, Thunderbolts. And the Italian. V Battalion. Yeah. And Marvel Generations, The First Line. Um, uh, Ryan Carroll says um, Dial H. Uh, Patrick Aproxy, who's at, is at Springle Jack, says Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl. Uh, Gail Simone's All New Adam and Young Avengers. Um, and Chris, who's Superior Spidey, says Scarlet Spider. Hmm. So there we go. Oh, and Bob in front of him. So <laughs> I'm guessing Bob, that's one of your series as yes, well. Yes, it is. Yeah. What? What? So how was? What was the all new Adam? Uh, Ryan Choi, his name is, okay. and he's was. I guess he was at some point a student of Ray Palmer's. And oh, okay. Ray Palmer's missing at that point, but he's a physicist. He's got a really cool dog to go with everything else, and it's drawn by John Byrne to go with everything else. Oh wow. Okay. So it's a really really nice team up, and it, was, it didn't run for very much. I have the first three here. I think they're the three Byrne issues. But it was a fun character who is now, I think, I think he died in the end of the old 52, so I don't think uh, he's come okay. back yet. Okay. But he could. Mm. Fun series. Adam has a great set of powers. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously more extreme than the Ant-Man situation, but yeah. uh, but a similar type of scale thing that I think plays really well visually. And yeah, like and that. since he could go subatomic, you are now into other planets and yeah. other worlds, and yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, apparently, I think that in this last issue of Batman and Superman, which Jeff Lemire wrote, they reintroduced, I think it's Ray Palmer into the new, into the New Fifty Two for the first time. Hmm. So he's there now. <laughs> um, Wasn't he one of the cartoons recently? Didn't they throw him into? I don't remember if they did or not. I try to I try to not remember those lately. But... <laughs> um. So, Bob, what else you got there? A series oh, that I've got, got, a, I've got a whole pile. Anybody want to go first? No, or? go ahead, Bob. Okay. You've been reading for a lot longer, so I don't really have very many because I, okay. I you know, I haven't really experienced well, very actually, much. Actually, I have here with me one of the first things I ever talked about on this show is <laughs> Hilly Rose Space Reporter, <laughs> which ran for five issues in the 90s by a fellow named B.C. Boyer, who apparently vanished and then turned into some sort of fellow who paints at malls or something he does portraits all right and that's what he does but this was it was very black and white sort of wally wood good girl art space adventure but all in very light fun with funny animals and mm. just here tickle all okay. right uh i also have power pack louise oh. simonson and june brigman which ran for i think 60 issues back and some Miniseries, they crossed with Spider-Man, Fantastic Four at one point. Uh, Alex Power it was part of the Future Foundation. Charming all-ages book, and Louise Simonson, well, Louise, she was Louise Simonson, but she was Louise Jones before. Just tons of fun. Uh, let's see, there's a huge pile here, but how about, this is Xenozoic Tales, which actually <laughs> did make a cartoon of. <laughs> called Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> uh, Mark Schultz, who is just an absolutely tremendous draftsman, mm. is actually now drawing the Prince Valiant comic strip oh, on okay. Sundays. But they, they are, we're passing books around. Oh, we passing are. books around. <laughs> uh, Peter David Supergirl, mm. which ran for quite a bit, and he finally left and left DC basically over the fact they wouldn't let him bring Kara back because it's not Kara. Uh, just stuck around a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what he got very mad about that when they did. <laughs> they let someone else do it. 
Uh, John Byrne's X-Men The Hidden Years, which ran mm. 20 issues. And this fill, it's the original X-Men. This fills the gap between when they went into reprints and when they went to the all-new X-Men. Oh, uh, okay. So it's, it's stories in continuity of these characters without stepping on toes on mm. either side. It's okay. a pretty good juggling act. This ended up. This was selling very well, but ended up canceled over uh, disagreeing with he and Joe Casado over stuff. Which is, and this book is why I don't he, believe it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the book why he will not work at Marvel anymore. Gotcha. So okay. that's that's too bad. Uh, Monkey Man and O'Brien by <laughs> Arthur. <Adams. laughs> um, Anne O'Brien, and her name is a double homage to Anne Darrow, which is the character from King Kong, and Willis O'Brien, who is the animator. Her father's a scientist. He's got this dimension-hopping machine. It gets turned on, blows up, and brings this giant monkey scientist from another dimension. And they fight characters like the Shroominoid, who's sort of like the Mole Man. I totally remember when you talked about this on the show. It is just charming and wonderful and and tons of fun, and just nobody remembers. There's Claws of the Cat. (laughs) Now, she wears what amounts to the uh, Hellcat outfit, but this is Greer Nelson, who would be Tigra eventually. Mm, Okay. Marvel did three books like this in the early 70s that they were hoping to be female-centric. So it was this, Shaun of the She-Devil, and Night Nurse. <laughs> and none of them lasted very long, but this is actually written. They're written by women. This one was written by Linda Feit and drawn by Marie Severin and Wally Wood. And that didn't go too far. There's Ultra Girl, which here's the entire Ultra Girl. <laughs> it's all of three issues by oh, no. Barbara Kessel and Leonard Kirk. Oh, okay. She ends up... As Ms. Marvel in the New Warriors, okay, somewhere down the road, but they were they were kind of cool. And here's well, actually, it's Fred Hembeck's favorite. This is actually Rick Remender. Oh, oh, they'll fall a little bit. None of them are worth anything. <laughs> uh, under Rick Remender's hand, he was Doctor Voodoo. It was in New <laughs> Avengers, but it's actually Brother Voodoo <laughs> from 1969. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, 1972. It's a Strange Tales 169. He's actually a psychologist. He's come to the States to study, but he's from the islands, goes mm. back. Yeah. And bad things have happened. His brother is dead and taken over by zombies, and he goes back and then lives in both worlds. And he was eventually, again, an Avenger and Sorcerer Supreme Oh, okay. when Doctor Strange gave up his power for a while <laughs> in the Avengers. So that's some of the stuff I threw out there as well as the things that got canceled, things like Zatanna, yeah. which was Paul Dini and mm. Stefan Rue, which is so great, Power Girl, Amanda mm. Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti. Mm. Miss Fearless Defenders a lot. Yeah. Not to mention Matt Fraction's Defenders. Yeah, I was going to say, which... Defenders is one of mine, absolutely. I would love to have seen more Defenders. There's a couple Fraction books, actually, though, the ones that I would think about. The Defenders, uh, his Iron Fist run as well. I wish there had been more of that. Um, and I, I mean, I know it didn't get technically canceled or whatever, but I would love to have seen more of his FF. Yes. You know, uh, that's I would yeah. love to have seen more of that. And listeners said the one that was top of my list was the it was Green Wake. That's Riley, on my list. Yeah, too. the Curtis Weeb Riley Rossmo book. Uh, the that that first first volume and a half. I mean, everything is good, but the last few issues they knew they were they were ending it. So there's a lot of information packed into a few a few mm-hmm. issues. Yeah, there. Um, the, the the first volume especially though is just so great and so. I've never read a book where the art made me feel so much like the characters were feeling, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. they're in this kind of purgatory-ish area and they're, they're confused about where they are. Things don't quite match up. They feel very depressed and, you know, and, and oppressed. And the art, 
the, the colors and the and the and, and the panel layouts just made me feel that way. Like I always felt like I was like always squinting at the book. Like I was just mm-hmm. like I can't. Am I not making it out right? Like what's going on? And I, and the reason I realized that that was intentional is because when you see moments that aren't in the area, they're completely clear cleared up and stuff like that. And then the crazy, the intense visual shift from volume one to volume two right. is crazy. So I, I wish. I wish we had more Green Wake. Yeah, that's one of those ones that I'll always... That was number one on my list. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And it was really formative for us, obviously, also, because it was one of the first, I think, really indie books that we really read when we first started doing this show. Curtis was one of our first guests. So reading that book, it was really one of my first forays out of... Out of DC, out of the big two, into that stuff. This was pre-Requeens. Oh, yeah. This was way (laughs) back, yeah. This was pre Grim Leaper. This was pre Grim Leaper was good too. Yeah, but that was a that was a four issue yeah. done kind of thing. And then there was the other. What was the other one he did? I can't remember the other debris. One debris. It's pre all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Right, good writer. Pre Peter mm. Panzerfaust. Yeah. I, oh man, it's funny. I was reading it and then stopped reading it and then read a couple of issues. I think we were having him on again. Or yeah, something. yeah. Yes, we were. And. I was like, wow, like this got really good, but I just haven't collected it mm. yet. And I mean, those books go for money. They're still yeah. ridiculous money. Yeah. So, I mean, $300 for, for number one alone. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. It's it crazy. is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. So what do, you, what do you what do you got? See what else is on your list? I got Frankenstein Agents of Shade. Good one. Good yeah. one. I really enjoyed the hell out of that series when the DC-52 first started uh monsters being heroes wolfman you know vampire frankenstein mummy uh healing factors and just hordes and hordes and hordes of zombies and monsters and demons and all of these things and it ended on a high note it ended on a you know we're we're off into the wild blue yonder doing our monster thing for another day <laughs> but damn if i didn't want to see where those were going. And I know that Frankenstein has showed up in other stories and, and things like that. And that spot that he had in Batman and Robin was quite twisted. It was. Yeah. You know, that was some, that was some dark stuff. And, uh, but I really, I missed the team. I really missed the team. It, it felt like they were just starting to really like the band knew how to play and they were, you know, they were loose and they were ready to go. And it was just, it was cool. It, I like movie monsters. I, you know, I might not know them as well as Bob does, um, but I will get into that Blu-ray box set uh, <laughs> this, this coming uh, holiday, Halloween season. But yeah, I, I really, really wish that there was more of that. Uh, I will also throw one in for uh, Catherine Eminen's Journey into Mystery. Mm. I really was heartbroken when I, I knew it was coming. But damn, again, that series was a lot of fun and really, really quirky. And it might not have been the journey into mystery with Kid Loki that Kieran Gillen had crafted, which is still one of the best things that I've read in comics so far. But hers was unique enough and fun enough. And I loved the idea that Sif had center stage and got to be Sif and got to be a complete and total badass, be funny and just go on these wild adventures. I always, when I think of that series, I always go back to this one moment where she's in this bog and there are like some of the toughest warriors that Asgard's ever known. And she goes up to them and they've been trapped in this place forever. And she's, she asked them, she's like, yo, 
Where is the biggest badass? What's the thing that all of you guys are deathly afraid of? Nobody touches it. And they describe this monster to her that lives in a lake that's like, if it even like breathes on you, you're dead. And she just goes, well, that's what I'm going to go and do. That's what I'm going to go and kill. And she just jumps right in there. And I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. this is awesome. Uh, So yeah, I really, I miss that a lot. Uh, I'm going to say, this is a little off. It didn't end, but I'm going to say J.H. Williams and Hayden Blackman's Batwoman. Mm. When uh, yeah. when yeah. they got yeah. cut short and didn't get to, you know, finish it or, or continue the way and, you know, the vision that they had for it. And we never got to see the uh, Killer Croc story, the Killer Croc origin story that they wanted. I really wanted to see that, you know, and they, they gave it to Mike Andranko. And I, I've stopped reading it since. Mm. I did too. You know, I... I tried to give it a go and it just, it really soured me on the whole thing. And I hate to think that just because they switched creator that I dropped the character, mm-hmm. but they really, they kind of got me with that one. Yeah. I Greg Rucker, like I think retweeted a piece that someone wrote about how, uh, what Mark and Draco's doing. And I have not been reading it is, is completely, you know, disavowing everything that Rucka and J.H. Williams did, did, did to create the character. Wow. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I mean, it, and I, it, the, 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 the treaty's the thing, it wasn't that it's even that it's bad. It's just that it's just, it's just completely taking the character in a different direction, which I think it was the DC edict for them. Cause that's why they brought them on. But it, it apparently is for the people, for the people who are fans of that book, it has not been a good yeah, ride that, for them. And that character yeah. wanted that particular yeah. representation. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame. Bad. Yeah. Uh, I got two more on my list. Uh, this is another weird one, kind of like the Batwoman one. This is one that I'm assuming because I did get to read some of the background on how this all went down, but I'm going to say Joshua Luna's Whispers, mm. the Luna Brothers story that I was not thrilled with, mm. that he he openly, he openly said that it fell apart at the end and he wasn't confident in the story and the book and it just, it took forever to come out and there were reasons and the whole bit. Um, I, I feel like if there was more time if there was help if there was somebody to bounce stuff off of that it would have gone better because four issues of that really really like i was so in like i was totally in and then as soon as we got to five and six it just took a nosedive Mm. and everything fell apart and it was so disappointing that perhaps if we had had another couple of issues it could have been fleshed out and salvaged I would have liked that because that's a you know a black mark on, on a record of creators that I adore. Yeah, and there's this one thing that oh should I use should I read whispers? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Ouch. Read the sword instead. <laughs> read Ultra <laughs> even. Um, but my number one, and this is no surprise to anybody that's listened to the podcast in the past, is the Runaways. Runaways has to this day still the most frustrating ending in comics the the most frustrating dropping off point for me in anything that i've read in the almost two and a half almost three years that we've been doing the show i got so into that brian k vaughn stuff whedon you know everybody that contributed to that book it did go downhill after the brian k vaughn was off the book i will admit that but where it started and what they did to the characters and where they left certain ones is like inexcusable Hmm. just there's no next page you left me with somebody like let's just say somebody is is in the midst of drawing their last breath there's no there's no resolution there's no conclusion 
and have since seen this character doing other things in other stories, and it's garbage. Mm. It was garbage, and it just it hurts because great character, great characters, great story, really unceremonious ending for for such a great cast of characters. Mm. You know, you want to talk about the movement and, and just a group of kids looking to to do right and be heroes. That's what the Runaways are, you know, and just a, a very very unceremonious ending for them. Yeah. So I would love for someone to bring them back, someone good. Mm. Now, there's talk of perhaps that happening. You hear every, any panel, they're brought up, and there's always rumors that, well, been, we're thinking about it. And- I've been hearing that for the better part of two years. Yeah, Stephanie mm. and I have been holding on to, to that hope. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe yeah. down the road somebody will pick it up, or you know, more of them. Some of them have showed up in other stories. Molly showed up, Chase and Nico and stuff like that. But I want the runaways proper. Sure. Pick up where you left off and fix this shit. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest strike against it not going back is the fact that they were supposed to make a movie. They had they, it was on the Marvel slate for a little while. It was a runaways movie, and then yeah. it just got cut off the slate when I think they decided to go into like the connected universe world, mm-hmm. and they weren't ready for that with those characters. Yeah. So, but hopefully you'll see. I'm coming back. I still can't believe I'm I don't want to get off topic. I can't believe that we still haven't seen anything for Big Hero Six. There's there's been some footage. It's supposed to yeah, it's test footage. Yeah. It's the same test footage over and over again. Every time they announce new casting, mm-hmm. it's always that same test video mm-hmm. of just you know the city skyline moving up. Right. It's in it comes out in November. Right. And nothing. And right. it's an animated film yeah. that usually takes at least two to three years yeah. to make. And uh, nothing. I'm sure you'll see something soon. I hope so. Cause I'm, I'm sure looking, you I, I want to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I have a couple just to yeah, finish. Yeah, go right ahead, Bob. One's, one's just insane. Okay. Uh, I've talked about this before. Back in the 40s, there were two issues of the All Winners Squad. <laughs> now, they've, they're sort of the invaders, but it's a larger version of it. So it's Cap, the Submariner, the Human Torch, Bucky, Toro, but also Miss America and the Wizard. <laughs> oh, Who the Wizard. Who eventually would be married, and they're at one point were postulated as being the parents of Wanda and Pietro. So to have had more of their stories might have been fun. They they sort of did that Liberty Legion and the Invaders, but it just wasn't the same. But forgetting that, sort of sort of one one from each of the big two in an indie. John Burns Doom Patrol. He reset the group to what they were back when they were, as as I've discussed, Mm -hmm. where the characters actually sacrifice themselves the only way to put it to save a fishing village pour back to those characters not grant morrison's crazy ones (laughs) and it got canceled and it ended up going even crazier with keith giffen as you can imagine it went somewhere else totally different kind of crazy yeah so that (laughs) i'd love to see some of those classic characters at the marvel end of it it's excalibur Mm. Uh, chris claremont alan davis and alan davis eventually captain britain nightcrawler kitty pride Megan, who you just saw in your X-Force, and and Mm. Betsy here and there in that one. And what to me is the book that there's never been enough of, even though they've been doing miniseries lately, Dave Stevens' version of The Rocketeer. Mm. There are so few of them. There may be a couple of hundred pages of it ever. And it's just one of the most special things to ever come out in this medium. All right. Awesome. 
awesome stuff. Um, I want to go through a couple of things. There's some listener stuff. They wrote. Oh. I got a lot of reactions from the the Batman costume, and I get. I forgot oh, to read cool. them when we were actually talking about it. So, um, this is a uh, at Justin uh, Pesiak or Pesiak on Twitter. He says freaking amazing. Um, Super bad Larry says cool shot. Waiting for more. Um, we got a uh, Ryan Carroll says definitely getting a Dark Knight Returns vibe. Seems like that's what they're going for with everything so far. Uh, James Hammond at Part Time Power says um, best at Gail Simone Catman suit ever. Oh wait, <laughs> um, Scott Wickenheiser says na 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 Batman. Can't wait to see more. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome. Uh, on Facebook, um, Luciano Morai says looks awesome. Can't friggin' wait for this movie. Uh, Cal, I'm gonna your last name. I can't. I don't know. Has no vowels in it. Gulberson says Ben Aff- Ben Affleck is perfect. Nobody would believe he is the Batman. Um, <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, Lenny Reed. Oh, looks sweet. Can't wait to see the, the coloring in more detail. Uh, uh, <laughs> Shensa uh, Meg Meg Addenston says I, it's not even words. It's ah, I need more detail. Uh, <laughs> e. W. Eames says looks good. Am I seeing a little homage to the Tim Burton Batmobile, or is it just me? Uh, Ben's looking pretty good in the suit, too. Uh, Dyer Harris said, so far, so good, with just a picture of Homer saying, woohoo. Um, <laughs> Robbie Shore says, well, it can't be worse than George Clooney as Batman, or can it? Uh, Hugh Perry oh, says, uh, very d- Dark Knight Return look to it, unsurprisingly. Dig the suit. Uh, Bat- Batmobile looks like a more aerodynamic tumbler, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but he's still fairly apathetic towards the movie. Uh, Brandon Boone says, reminds me of the Dark Knight Returns. I love it. The studded ears are awesome. Uh, Damian Patrick Wims says, looks like somebody forgot to attach the bat nipples. <laughs> um, uh, Craig Blenko says, this looks really good. If that suit turns out to be gray and black when released in color, I will fist pump a lot. Uh, <laughs> Dave Hurley says, looks cool. Did you see the, he asked if any of have seen the preview uh, for, for Gotham. Yes. Yeah. What'd you think, Steve? I... <laughs> I am really, really interested in it. Mm. I thought it, I, I really liked it. I really did. I watched, I, I saw the little clip, teaser clip, and then I saw the two minute clip. And I think it looks great, but it's Fox. Mm-hmm. And Fox I'm, makes good shows sometimes. Come on. Sometimes, sometimes. But you really, when you, when you have, think of Fox shows, you have to think about it for a second. I, listen. I'm very hopeful for it. I'm really enjoying Arrow. I'm enjoying a lot of what DC is bringing to television. I want it to be awesome. It The trailer has me. Mm-hmm. I'm totally checking out the first episode. I will give it... I'll probably end up watching it anyway because mm-hmm. of the nature of it. But I'm I, yes, I'm excited for it. I just hope that... Fox doesn't screw it up. Yeah, I like the uh, the leads. I, li- I um I can't remember that guy's name. A guy plays playing Gordon, but he was in that show Southland, and he's been in a few other things. He's he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Donald Logue is playing uh, Harvey Bullock. I I see. I love him, which is an awesome. Donald. It's a perfect casting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the idea of it's funny because when they introduced the show, I really thought it was gonna be very procedural. You know, like villain of the week. But as they introduce more and more idea of more Batman villains being a bigger and bigger part of it, and young Bruce Wayne being a bigger and bigger part of it, excuse me, it seems like it's going to be a much more, I guess, operatic, you know, long game type of show mm-hmm. with what it's developing and the story. It seems it's going to be an overarching story, which when it was going to be a procedural. 
I was sure that A, it was going to be very high quality, and B, I would probably wouldn't watch it that much because those shows don't really hook mm-hmm. me very often. But I had no doubt that people know how to make those shows really, really well. And setting one of them in the Batman universe, pretty natural, cool, but- pretty cool idea. Mm-hmm. This now, the the, the the seeming scope of what they're going to do has me both more excited and more worried about that's, see, that's if they exactly can keep it going through all you of end it. Up with Smallville, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I wish. Look, I mean, I love connected universe. I, I I like the idea of everything being together. So I understand why you don't just have you you don't just make Gotham Central the TV show because you can't have grown up Batman so anywhere in it, even in the shadows of it. But I sort of wish that's what it could be. You know, because the young Bruce Wayne stuff doesn't interest me that much, and they could prove me wrong. They could totally prove me wrong, and I could be in with the, with the story of this kid and kind of the first seeds of where he decides to become this crime fighter. Yeah. That's a cool story to tell, if you can tell it right. But I am more interested in the idea of Gotham PD dealing with these supervillains and stuff like that, and Batman kind of being in the shadows and kind of being around in the corner and shows up sometimes. Because I think that those stories, the detective nature of Batman lends itself to a weekly episodic show anyway. I know, Bob, are you excited about Gotham? I'm much more now than when it was the police procedural. Mm. I gave up on those long ago. Mm. It was fun when it was Columbo. It wasn't bad when it was Quincy right. 40 years ago. A crime every week and mm. every... every look, <laughs> I turn on the television and NCIS, CSI, blah, blah, it's... Every castle and mm. and some of the I've watched episodes and enjoyed them. Yeah, but it's as if I years ago. This is a very huge digression. In 1950s monster movies with giant bugs and monsters, there was always a scene where the scientist is trying to convince the authorities how dangerous spiders, grasshoppers, ants, whatever are when they're big. Mm-hmm. They show a movie. <laughs> I took laser discs and videotapes and spliced together 25 minutes. Of guys walking into rooms going... All right, go ahead. So they're showing clips of giant locusts and bugs and all this sort of stuff. And they, they turn the lights out and put down the Venetian blinds and go on. And I, I ran this together and it got good laughs at monster movie parties and things like that. And every time I turn on one of these shows, there are a bunch of guys standing in a lab and there's usually some goth girl looking into a microscope. Or there's someone, there's someone getting an autopsy. It's like, eh, eh. Mm-hmm. but now that we're going, as you're, you're mm. describing, long game, yeah. where, ooh, why does Edward Nigma act this way? Mm-hmm. Or what's Selena Kyle doing at this point? Mm-hmm. Could be interesting. It could all fall apart horrendously yes. is, is the real problem. If the attention to detail isn't there or desperation sets in, let's get more guest stars in this week because the ratings fell and... Based on, I still am not thrilled with Arrow, and everyone else is. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm, I just look at it the same way. I, I Gotham universe that dark, mm-hmm. that chatty. I might go with. So <laughs> this is the kind of thing I think I'll, I'll, I'll take a gamble on a couple mm-hmm. episodes just to see where we're headed. I think it could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll definitely see. We got it's crazy the amount of comic book, TV shows we're gonna have on the air next year. We're gonna have Arrow, Flash. Shield, Agent Carter, which we didn't talk about them picking oh, up. Agent Carter, that's my. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure that. you're very happy about that. that and they confirmed that it's going to kind of air in the hiatus times of Shield, so that it will be kind of a companion oh, nice. to it, and they'll be airing competing with each other. So that's cool that we're going to get like period piece spy show with Haley Atwell. And mm-hmm. why I'm I I want on top of that we still look we still have the connection to Cap. Mm-hmm. He's gone. 
could we see the invaders? Maybe you can make because well, it's World War Two. Yeah. Those characters are around. Yeah, if we're going to make a larger Marvel universe that can be done fairly cheaply. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Samarna wears a bathing suit. For goodness <laughs> sake, how hard is that? Um, so that stuff is cool. Constantine. Constantine right? has been picked up for a season, and that trailer was neat. Though that trailer looked really, really nice. Um, reminded me, it, it looks like Constantine. Like it's like, like taking him off the page. It looked like they're not holding back on any of the the magic or the supernatural or his attitude or anything like that. Whether or not it plays out to be a good show, we'll have to see. But it, it, they're definitely all in, kind of on that character. Uh, it, obviously, um, the Flash will be has been picked up, and we'll be seeing that. Uh, we're supposed to be seeing a, a trailer for that after uh, the uh, Arrow finale, which airs on Wednesday night. Uh-huh. Um, when you're listening to this <laughs> right now, you might, it might have already happened. Um, and, and CW also picked up iZombie, based on the Chris Roberson, uh, Mike Allred book. Have Vertigo you book. seen the solicits or the stills? I've seen a couple of the stills, yeah. That? Yeah. 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 That's I'll be watching that. Yeah, Chris Roberson is also very excited, which is yeah. interesting because that's the that book is the reason why he doesn't work at big companies anymore because mm-hmm. he had a big problem with with DC on that. But well, they're they're using the book very loosely. Yeah, I know they talked show. about that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be about a girl that works in a morgue and she eats the brains of the people that come in and solves their wow. their murders. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. That's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. that right away. Yeah, yeah. So a huge slate of comic book TV shows on the yeah. air. Yeah, the four Netflix. Well, five if they do Defenders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think next year. Next year we're going to get Daredevil. We don't know the the time frame on the on the others. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff coming. I, I the TV stuff I think is interesting to me, and I, and I think it, at times has the ability, not in budget and scope, obviously, but in in delivery of content to be more satisfying than the movies, even at times, because you have all this time to set up the characters. You can do week to week stories that play out, like you said, over a long game, rather than having to get it out once every three years mm-hmm. in one movie. So I think it's it's a cool way to go. Sure, it's more like comic book continuity exactly, itself, yeah. where you can take the time to build slowly towards something. Yeah, because the one thing, the cool things about Arrow is that they will mention something in an episode, and then it, it you know two a year later, six months later. You know, ten episodes later, that thing will seep into the universe, yeah. and you can't do that in a movie. I mean, you can do it; they do it in the Marvel movies, but they have to be big splashes. Yeah, you yeah. know, they, uh, and they have they have to be big enough so you remember them two or three years later. This is they can filter things in little by little. It's funny. I have uh, I have a new roommate in my uh, in my home, and uh, my friend Tom is watching Arrow for the first time. Like he's only seen a couple episodes, so mm-hmm. he's now well into. By the time I get home tonight, he'll probably be caught up. But it's been so funny knowing what's coming and sitting in like my computer chair listening to his reactions yeah. and stuff like that. It's a it's a great show episodically speaking. Yeah. Like they really know how to like when those end credits come, yeah. you need to watch the next yeah, episode yeah. to find out what the hell is going on because yeah. they just they leave you with like five open ended things and you're mm-hmm. just like, Oh Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun watching it over again. I can't wait to see the finale. I'm still one episode behind. Yeah. But uh, I'm gonna miss it. It's funny when uh, I was talking to uh, Brian again today, and he was I was talking about Arrow. I was like, "You really need to watch it." I was like, "Because you're a big comic book fan, you need to check it out. You appreciate it." He's like, "He's like, oh, Courtney, his girlfriend watches it, and I, I don't really engage. I just seen a couple things here and there." She's like, "He's like, I think Slade is awesome." He's like, "But I'm uh, I, I I just going. Why would you put him in the costume?" I was like, "He's in. He's Deathstroke." <laughs> he, and now he's like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, I gotta watch it." It's <laughs> <laughs> all it took. Yeah. Um, so we'll have interest to see about that stuff going on. Uh, also asked a question. I just want to run down some of these names because I just threw out on Twitter today asking, we talk about writers a lot. 
I, I put on Twitter, who's your favorite comic book artist, current comic book artist to our listeners. And they love people ring with a lot of answers. So, um, Jeff Cunningham, who's at cowboy underscore, witch on Twitter, wow. uh, his favorite current is Greg Capullo. His all times are Jim Lee and Michael Turner. Um, uh, Otha M Johnson, uh, the third, uh, atomic Alex says, Oh my God, can I only pick one? Jim mm-hmm. Lee. He said, uh, Matthew Odinson, Walt Simonson, uh, that the David Barry, Declan Shelby, um, super bad Larry. Uh, it's a tie between Amy reader and Chris Pachalo. And again, this, this is current ones. Uh, Lauren, Lauren colleagues complains, just pick one. Um, <laughs> um, and then, uh, guilty X chimes in. I know it's like picking your favorite child. Sophie's choice. Uh, Zo- at zombie babies says um <laughs> it's paul pope but i could lose an hour staring at jh williams pages too um eric ryan says kafu what is unity or earth two annual number one thunder agents um mighty milton says uh, mike allred all day uh hunter uh magahi says greg capullo uh at dashell says jamie mckelvey scott wickenhauser says hands down it would be andrea sorrentino uh, see page two and three of Green Arrow number 31. Enough said. Uh, Dominique McGill says Stuart Immerman, Chris Samney, Sean Gordon Murphy. Um, uh, Hugh Perry says I'd say a tie between Greg Capullo and Sean Murphy. Uh, Jake Tanner says Greg Capullo or Mike Allred. Um, Vic Rushing says Jim Lee for all time, but J.H. Williams III is mind-bettingly phenomenal right now. Uh, Casey Crawford says so hard either Nick Patera, Declan Shelby, Jeff Lemire, Greg Capullo, or Aaron Cooter. Um, Corey Addison says Mike Oming, hands down. Um, Jarrell Dampier says Tim Sale, Stuart Immerman, Humberto Ramos, Jay Bone, Darwin Cook, uh, <laughs> Sanford Green, Becky Clunan, and Olivier, Olivier Copiel. Uh, so he cheated, obviously. Um, uh, Mike, who's at Liberal Bash, and says Ariel Olivetti. Uh, Mike Allred thanked uh, our listener for saying that he could look at his art all day. <laughs> and uh, Horatio Radu says Forever Ashley Wood. Um, so thank you guys very much for yeah. responding to those artists. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite artist right now, Steve? Right now? Yeah. Stephanie Hans. Right now? Ooh, interesting. Love her. Absolutely. Awesome. I love the, the painterly look and the, the, she has a level of majesty that's not being done in mm-hmm. other stuff. She only comes on every now and again to either do covers or she did the interiors of, Fearless Defenders number nine. was that nine eight? I feel like it was eleven. Might no, been. I thought it was a little early, but seven. Go for it. Seven. Okay. Okay. Either um, way, are just awesome. Uh, and the covers for uh, Kieran Gillen's Journey into Mystery. Mm. I love her. Uh, my other two would be it would be Stephanie Hans, Amy Reader, and Chris Samney. Nice are my three favorite current artists. Nice, Bob. What about you? I'm going to go with people on that list. Mike, All- <laughs> Mike Allred right now, mm-hmm. just really incredible. Amy Reader, certainly. I'll throw Amanda Connor onto that list, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, Capullo, Samney, definitely. I mean, Chris Samney is probably my favorite right now. Um, I really love Jamie McKelvey. I think he's just just awesome. Francis Manipole is, is really, really great as well. Uh, Chris Pachalo is is really amazing on the x-men stuff so really digging uh mateo scalera right now as well yeah yeah the the stuff on um black science is awesome yeah dead body road dead body road as well mm-hmm. yeah oh and i really love what's his name um the, the guy with the luther strode guy oh god not justin jordan my yeah. uh trad Moore. trad Moore. yeah yeah is he the one doing ghost, ghost, rider? ghost rider yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. really sweet yeah one. where's issue number three i don't know 
I want it monthly, dude. I think it's. I think it's. <laughs> but today. it wasn't monthly. I think they it's today. Us. I think it's today. Yeah, a lot of the Marvel books they did those first couple issues. They did they shipped bi-weekly and then they're doing month to month. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I've, been, I've been so out of it this week. I've are no you guys going to pick an all timer or these are your all timers? Oh uh, no, no, certainly not my all. No, they're not my all timers. These are just kind of who I'm like into, you know, right now. Um, it's tough for me all time because you know I haven't been reading them as long, <laughs> um, so I don't have anybody I can really pick. I mean, Bob, who who are your all timers? Kirby. Kirby. Jack right. Kirby. And uh, probably Ditko's on that list. Uh, certainly John Byrne. There are guys, though, when I was a kid who I didn't get. Mm-hmm. One of them I mentioned is George Tuska. When I was 10, it was like, Ugh, who's, mm-hmm. who's this guy? Or who's Gene Colan? Or who's Don Heck or whatever? Mike Sikowski. It's, no, I, these guys just had a style that wasn't Jack Kirby. And now I, now I completely get it. Right, yeah. And it's funny how that does happen. Your, yeah. your perception will change once you realize how hard it was to do that. Yeah. Or the the energy within a panel that you look at is well that's kind of twisted. No one could stand the way. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? Yeah. And when I was a kid, Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito, mm. who did Metal Men and Wonder Woman and a million other things. Ross Andrew did Spider Man for about ten years. Mm. Just great stuff. Yeah. I mean, I really love George Perez. Oh, obviously, uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot him. Yeah, Walt yeah. Simonson as well. I, that, that, that's the kind of stuff. You know, my exposure to the older stuff is, is is in bits and pieces and fits and starts. But those are the things that I. I, that come to mind that I responded to the most of of that stuff that, that that I've read. So yeah, for me, those are the people that come to mind right away. Um, Fiona Staples is up there for me. Fiona Staples is fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, for me, I mean, Samney might be on my list of all time. It just yeah. If I, I made if I made an all time list, Fiona would make it up top five yeah, definitely. Just love his his stuff so 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 much. Um, so let's talk about some of the books that are on the shelves right now. Uh, from Archie Comics, one of my favorite artists right now I didn't mention, Francesco Francavilla, Ooh. Afterlife with Archie number five. Maybe. Was this the final of the first arc? It might be, yeah. yeah. Mm. That, it, that series has been phenomenal. Oh, God. Amazing. Um, Archie number 655, uh, Kevin Keller number 13, Life with Archie number 35, and Sonic Universe number 63. From Avatar Press, we've got Caliban number two. We've got Gravel Combat Magician number four. <laughs> Great time. And Uber number 13. <laughs> uh, from Boom Studios, we've got um, Bee and Puppy Cat, number one. Yes. We've got Clive Barker's Next Testament, number nine. Deceivers, number five. Lumberjanes, number two of eight. Ooh, Returning, number three of four. Rust, volume three. Death of the Rocket Boy. What? Cover. Yeah. Really? Yeah, really. Get out of here. I'm not getting out of here. Oh, some, ooh, somebody owes me an email. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, number nine. Uh, um, from Dark Horse Comics, Ape Sapien, number 12. We've got uh, Hellboy in Hell, number six. Whoa. We've got uh, Jack Kraken, one shot. <laughs> We've got Bye. Star Wars, number 17. Terminator, Enemy of My Enemy, number three. And X, number 13. From DC Comics, we've got Action Comics number 31. We've got Batgirl number 31. We've got Batman Eternal number 6. We've got Constantine number 14. Uh, We've got Fables number 140. FBP, Federal Bureau of Physics number 10. We've got Green Lantern Corps number 31. We've got Justice League United number 1. We've got Future's End number 2. We've got Royals Masters of War number 4. We've got Superboy, number 31, Superman Doomed, number one. Another event. Yep. Superman Wonder Woman, number eight, and World's Finest, number 23. From Dynamite Comics, we've got Ash and the Army of Darkness, number seven. We've got Cryptozoic Man, number two. 
we've got King's Watch. No, sorry, that's that's a second printing. Um, we've got Miss Fury number eleven, Bob's favorite book. We've got <sighs> Shadow number twenty five, and Turok the Dinosaur Hunter number three. Um, from you notice Miss Fury wasn't on my. You know, ended too soon. It's true. Gone too soon. <laughs> going on too long would be. <laughs> From IDW, we have got G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Yeah. As number 202. To the fake ones. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We've got Judge Dredd, number 19. We've got um, uh, Mars Attacks, Firstborn, number one. We've got Rogue Trooper Classics, number one. We've got Star Trek New Visions, number one. That's the photo novel? Yeah. Yep. It is. It's, it's another one. It's, That's going to be a bi-monthly. Oh, nice. This is a sequel to a Star Trek episode called Mirror Mirror, where they find a parallel universe where the Federation is not a good place. Mm. All right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, new animated adventures, number 11. Transformers. More than meets the eye. That is correct. Oh. Number 29. They, they, they can foul me up with those months <laughs> off, and I'm still going to get it. Uh, Weird Love, number one. And Love that cover. <laughs> and Wraith, Welcome to Christmas Land, number six of seven. I sent that. It's in our covers of the week. Yeah. It's old stuff from the 50s and 60s. Oh, cool. It's, so one of them is I Love the Commie. <laughs> My Lover Snores. That's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, from Image Comics, we have Bounce, number 12, Field, number 2 of 4, Krampus, number 5, uh, Mice Templar, 4, Legend, number 10, we've got Minimum Wage, number 5, Shudder, number 2, Starlight, number 3, Stray Bullets Killers, number 3, we've got Tales from the Con, year 1, we've got Think Tank Fun with PTSD, number 1, and Walking <laughs> Dead, number 127. Uh, what's that other book? I've got to get that other book just to read it. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. From uh, Marvel Comics, we've got All New Ghost Rider, number 3. Bob was correct. Nice. All New Ultimates, number 2. All New X-Men, number 27. Uh, we've got Avengers, number 29. Avengers Undercover, number 4. Captain America, number 20. Captain Marvel, number 3. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, number one. I didn't even know this was coming out. Yeah, it's Deadpool, number 28. Um, we've got Fantastic Four, number four. Ugh. Iron Man, number 25. <laughs> uh, we've got, let's see, New Avengers, number 18. We've got Nightcrawler, number two. Yes. Secret Avengers, number three. United States of Murder, Inc., number one. At Wolverine number six, X Force number five, and that's it. Uh, United States of Murder Inc. is an icon book. It's uh, Brian Michael Bendis, I believe. Ah. Um, One of those Avengers is a tie in already. Oh, really? It might be the regular Avengers. Okay. Uh, I'm not reading that anymore, so it's okay. Original Sin. Uh, From Oni Press, we have a Tor number three and Wasteland number 54. Uh, From Valiant Comics, we've got Bloodshot and Hardcore number 22, Quantum and Woody number 10. From Xenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales Annual 2014, Grim Fairy Tales Presents Dark One, and Grim Fairy Tales Presents Robin Hood Legend number three. And that is what's on the shelves. I am right overjoyed now. by that Rust volume. <laughs> Seriously, man. I had no idea that was coming out. That is my book tomorrow. I'm going to find it. I don't know if Rob ordered one or not. He probably I'm did. I'm sure he did. He yeah. probably did, knowing yeah. that I would want it. I hope so, because I will buy it, I will read it, I will love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's all that's coming out. Uh, before we say our goodbyes, we have some goodbyes to say to some creators who passed away. Sure, it's been a, uh, say, to say it this way, busy couple of weeks in terms of people passing. Normally these things come in three, but we're at four. H.R. Mm. Uh, Giger, the 
fantasy artist designer for films like Alien, passed at, I think it was 78? 74? 74, 74 okay. yeah. Mm. But he looked 78. Yeah. He had been very sick. <laughs> no, it's terrible. But his vision for that film and his book was Necronomicon was the title mm. of the book that he followed up with really changed the way horror was drawn. I, certainly Menton 3 and those guys are definitely yeah. yes, uh, there was a influenced. Good number of guys at 44 Fly that were pretty rocked yeah. by, uh, by the news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dick Ayers passed at 90. He was at Marvel basically for 50 years. He created the original Western Ghost Rider, uh, mm. drew Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos for years, inked things as far back as the, somewhere in the first 10 issues of Fantastic Four. Great uh, at cons, always did sketches for kids and whatever, and just really just a lovely man. I just had the mm. opportunity to meet him a couple of times. Al Feldstein, whose name no one probably knows here, but he was the editor in chief of Mad Magazine from 1956 to somewhere in the 80s. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. And Mad in 1974 was selling nearly three million copies a month. <laughs> Every, you see, when you he passed, people were saying, you know. I grew up reading that, and now that's what I think about with comedy, mm -hmm. that it was all, all just mad. In, in a way that Ray Harryhausen's Sinbad movies got people thinking about fantasy films, Mad Magazine was how you thought about comedy. And Saturday Night Live and all those things come directly out of that mad thing. And Feldstein was a, an editor, writer, and artist at the old DC before that. He didn't even start a mad. Harvey Kurtzman started mad, but he did those horror books. And science fiction and a little bit of everything else. And he was Bill Gaines' right-hand man. So he did just a ton, a ton of stuff. And Barbara Hale, Barbara Hall, rather, passed at 94. She drew the original Black Cat back in the 1940s, quit in 1946 to become a fine artist. And with the money from her wedding, she and her husband at the time started the first commune in Vermont. <laughs> and so we, we, I know her thanks to Trina Robinson, who's our guest, and she was just spectacular. Mm. In an era where it wasn't. Wow. You know, and so to all them and to their families, our condolences and our thanks for all their fine work. Yeah, mm. I mean, Mad Magazine is one of those things when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Like the the fold the fold picture yep. on the back. The fold-in. Fold yeah, the fold-in yeah. things were, were huge. You know, I remember them so vividly. Like, I, I, I never... I was never. I don't think I wasn't allowed to get. it. I never got Mad Magazine, but mm. my best friend always got it. So we, I would always like wait. I was so excited to go oh, and like man. do the fold yeah. in, and I always like I would always grab from and read the Spy versus Spy, which is always yeah, my I love favorite. That was the thing that my I, favorite thing. That was my favorite thing. Yeah. It was that, and it was all the little Al Jaffe like teeny tiny characters that were like no bigger than a dime that were stashed around the various pages. Like mm -hmm. they'd oh. be hanging off corners. Oh, that's actually, Jaffe did the fold-in. That's, okay. that's Sergio Aragonis who did Gru with Mark Evan. There Hears. you go, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. That's, that's where he got his start with those. Those are, I, those are as good as the articles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I saw a piece that someone posted in the wake of Al Feldstein's death from Roger Ebert who described the mad movie parodies as being one of those things that helped him understand what movies were about huh, yeah. and how they were made. And for a lot of us, it was, because the jokes they make about, well, the script is bad here and this, mm. well, what about this part? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You, oh, you know, I didn't think of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, 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 that magazine is very formative in my, in my mind as, as a kid. Drugstore in Genovese, man. Yeah. That's yeah. where I used to always pick them up. Yeah, always. absolutely. And and I'd always be like pissed when like people got like you know cracked and stuff like that because I, I thought it was like I the bought, low I bought, I bought crack man. too the phony mad magazine yeah. 
<laughs> uh, I, I bought both. Yeah, it was cracked, sick. Yeah. Uh, Marvel did something called crazy. <laughs> Mad did their own. EC, Harvey Kurtzman did Mad. Feldstein did Panic. Mm. And Harvey Kurtzman left after four years or whatever. And it just that's when they became a magazine. Yeah. And that's how Bill Gaines made a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That Neil Adams podcast where he, on uh, Kevin Smith, he was talking about the EC thing, and Kevin Smith was talking about how bad he felt for him. He's like, "Don't feel bad for him." It's like I died a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. When you it, there was a biography that was written about William Gaines. He, the life he led, and he was a, he looked like a bum. Right. Huge, heavy fellow, mm. big beard, wore ripped old, terrible T-shirts. Traveled the world and went to the finest restaurants mm-hmm. and finest museums, all on the Mad Magazine money. Right, yeah. Caused by the fact that the Comics Code put his horror comics out of business. Yeah, he yeah. Went, well, you know what, guys? We've got Mad. They can't. We'll make a magazine. They can't censor us. We can say what we want. And I was actually going to bring it in. I, I've got a huge box worth of stuff. They did a. I'll, I'll talk about this in depth someday. They did a parody, Super Duper Man versus Captain Marbles, in <laughs> 1953. It's in Mad Number Four. At the time that uh, DC was suing Fawcett over Captain Marvel, they ran this story. <laughs> and Bill Gaines' lawyer said, they're going to sue us out of business. You can't do this. Gaines went to other lawyers and they went, no, it's a parody. It's fair use. They, they may threaten you, but they can't sue you right. and win. Publishing that article set into motion the fact that they could always parody movies and TV shows mm. and records. And it's just that fair usage happened right there. Yeah. Well, there you go. Wow. So uh, it's a obviously we are very sorry for for their loss, but yes. that's a great way. Honoring their legacy celebrate. is a yes. great way to celebrate uh, their lives. Um, and uh, that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us at Talking Comics on Twitter, uh, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com, facebook.com slash Talking Comics. My personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve. My personal Twitter is at dead underscore anchorus. Bob, email address. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And of course, you can get in touch with Stephanie at HelloCookie on Twitter. Um, guys, listen to the, the new Misfits show. Listen to Talking Games. Check out Talking Movies. Check out The Valiant Show. All these hours, in the, I don't, all these magical hours in the day that you have to listen <laughs> to these shows. Um, check them out. Um, if Again, guys, make sure to send emails, respond. I think next week we're going to I try to do some a lot of listener questions uh, leading up because we have a big movie show to do the week after that with mm. X-Men. Um, maybe send some X-Men questions and stuff like that. We'll try to answer those and get to those as well. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for Talking Comics for this week. So for Steve. Later. And Bob. Stephanie, please come home. I've been Bobby. Until next week on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs>